0: I do not like the men on this spaceship. They are uncouth and fail to appreciate my better qualities. I have something of value to contribute to this mission if they would only recognize it. Today over lunch, I tried to improve morale and build a sense of camaraderie among the men by holding a humorous, round-robin discussion of the early days of the mission. My overtures were brutally rejected. These men do not want a happy ship. They are deeply sick and try to compensate by making me feel miserable. Last week was my birthday. Nobody even said happy birthday to me. Someday this podcast will be played and then they'll feel sorry. <laughs> it was too good an option not to do because oh, so of how podcast well... Podcast for tape? Right, right. Yeah, right. Perfect. But, but I just want to share the other one I wanted to do, which, uh, uh, David, oh, fuck, where was it? You would have had to give me the alternate lines here. But the other one I wanted to do was, what are you going to name it? What? The new star. What are you going to name it? Who cares? Don't bother me. (laughs) Who cares? cares, Don't bother me. The new podcast. (laughs) Yes. Because that is the first question right off the bat. I want to get into this right off the bat because David and I are texting about it, but Ben and our guests have not been part of this conversation. I'm a little bit curious to hear their opinion. This is a podcast called Blank Check with Griffin and David. I'm Griffin. I'm David. And it's a podcast about filmographies, directors who have massive success early on in their careers and are given a series of blank checks to make whatever crazy passion projects they want. Sometimes those checks clear and sometimes they bounce, baby. True. And this is a new miniseries on the films of John Carpenter. And David texted me about two hours ago and said, what are we going to call it? What are we going to call it? This baby just got born. What are we going to call it? He said, what are we going to call it? And I didn't say I don't care. I gave him two options. And David seems to have a preference, but I'm curious to hear. I don't
1: have a strong preference, and I need to hear them out said out loud, and you guys can figure it out too. Okay, yes, we
2: can all figure this out. May, okay. may I may I share an idea I'm having? Please. How do we feel about the podcast?
3: <laughs> How
4: about add one letter? They podcast.
2: Oh oh oh.
1: They they, being... they podcast is actually funny. Actually, that's, <laughs> pretty, <laughs> good. that's okay. pretty good. Okay, I feel like. This is the thing with you, with you and I. Uh huh. You love to just to just strangle it into the most ridiculous, awful sounding. I want to be jammed, like, pod and cast
4: right. big into something that, right in little right cast. I, well, well. <laughs> I think I have it's a better the dome here. I don't know. I'm just spitballing.
0: I think um, I have a better angle on the same structure. But uh, yes, I, I, I like a, a Louis Armstrong title where you're, you're having to dab the forehead. You're out of breath. Yeah. So you
1: proposed to me two options. Say them out loud now.
0: Okay. Option number one. And we'll, let's just say we're officially adding They Podcast as option number three. Okay? Sure. Yeah. Option number one. Podscape from Newcast. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Which is the first one you proposed to me. With right. confidence. Yep. I, like, just, I mean,
0: this is <laughs> I, what I think, think. I got it. I didn't buffer it. And you just said, wow, your response was wow. <laughs> I mean, that yeah. sounds positive to me. But <laughs> my second, my second, which I'm a little partial to my second pitch. Pod trouble in little cast.
1: Hey. Pod
0: trouble in little cast. Emily doesn't like it. Emily looks disgusted. Ben looked a little charmed.
4: Hey. I uh, I honestly feel like syllables are the key to this thing. Mm. And you I don't think, like
1: turning China into cast? Is that what you're saying? Like turning two syllables into one?
4: I think it's like Big Trouble and Little Podcast. I know that's not as spicy.
1: It's yeah. well, That's the thing. It's not. That's the thing. Whereas I don't mind a podcast away. I don't mind a clean sounding. You just, you know, you got the word podcast in there. That's fine. So like if you told me in the podcast of madness... Uh, Or whatever, you know, like, I'd be like, there's something thematic there. They podcast. That's pretty
0: funny. The two times we have covered a filmmaker who has a movie title with cast in it, I have let you win. I've let you come up with podcast news and podcast away for the cleaner. The cleaner option. Uh, I wanted to do what pod to the future cast or fucking whatever. (laughs) But Future future cast, you know, a future cast. I think I'm just kind of into Pod Trouble. I think Pod Trouble is funny. I mean, we've all been in it before. We've all we been have. in Pod Ugh. Trouble. Do we think it feels like maybe Podscape from Newcast is the consensus option?
4: Oh, yeah. that like, sounds like that's the consensus option. It sounds like oh, wait, everybody no.
0: loves it. Po- Podscape? Podscape from Newcast. Hmm. Uh, yeah, that's terrible because Newcast?
4: <laughs> I'm like mopping up the floor right now. Like, i
0: Pod salt on Cast no. Sync 13. No
2: no no no. No no,
0: no, no, no. no, no, no. Get that
1: out of here. Griffin. Dikembe. No, no.
0: Dikembe.
1: no. <laughs> Get that out of here.
3: You're Dikembe. You're giving me the wagon finger. <laughs> I just
1: blocked that into the fifth row. That's not allowed. Let's percolate, and we'll know by the end of the episode.
2: They podcast takes it.
4: They podcast is pretty. I don't know. I hate to like give like I know I'm no unbiased and I came up with it, but I do think it's the best idea.
0: I mean, I'm going to suggest the dangerous thing. The poll. Should we do the Twitter poll and see at the end of the episode where don't it stands? We've already poll. learned our
2: lesson. We're no, not doing no a Twitter, Twitter poll. No more Twitter
4: I, polls. I, I wait, agree with Twitter's that. good. Twitter's good. What's the problem? Here? Also, I'm not on Twitter anymore, so I won't be able to participate. I'd only be able to like run a shadow campaign. Which I'm starting right now. To be clear, I
0: was telling Emily before we recorded how much good sh- shit she's been missing on Twitter. Yeah, oh, oh. oh, oh, all yeah. all yeah. sounds Fun. cool.
4: Sounds chill and very um like understandable, like like logical emotion. Like I can follow the emotional through line really even- well. even keel, um,
0: very even keel. Yeah yeah, yes. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, um, our guest today is of course the mother of blankies herself, Emily Yoshida. Oh my God! Hello, my little babies. <laughs> and, and there are two big things I need to set up. Emily's coming in hot today. Emily's got
4: it's like not, it's well now it's ten in the morning. I was gonna say it's nine in the morning, but uh, some time passed. Um, but I mean, not to not to you know, I I don't know if we're trying to like keep this under wraps, but I am actually in person here in I was my Hollywood Hills Mance Yeah, nuance, yeah. Uh, with. The producer himself, yes, Ben Hosley, producer Ben. So if if I sound a little bit like charged or like there's an electric energy over here in LA, it's it's for that reason.
0: Chronologically, other episodes will have come out at this point. Chronologically, this is the first time one of us has been in the same room with anyone else for a record.
2: Yeah. Yes, and it's um.
4: It, we've had an eventful morning.
2: <laughs> we've had an eventful morning. We've discovered the whole like thing of like, well, actually, when you record by yourself at home, it's just like you just turn it on and go. Sure. Whereas like having multiple people in a room, it's complicated and things come up and you need adapters and wires and whatnot. But we made it. And luckily,
4: I I invested in like an audio studios worth of like XLRs and adapters and stuff here
0: uh, at the beginning of the pandemic. So it's like, I guess I'm just doing this for the rest of time. But uh, we should also mention just to explain energy at play that Emily had a near-death experience making coffee this morning.
4: (laughs) (laughs) I texted Ben, who's like, I'm going to come at 850 in the morning. I was like, oh, God damn. Okay, Uh, I guess I'll make coffee, smiley face. And then I like proceeded to have a I I was telling that Griffin David, like I was having a uh, who framed Roger Rabbit-esque experience in the kitchen this morning
0: involving scalding water and broken pots. Uh, Cleavers narrowly missing you, forming an outline of your body against the wall behind you. You got locked in the fridge at one point. Right.
4: Yeah, it's uh, yeah. So I'm ba-
0: baby's you know. crawling on a hot stove top.
4: <laughs> My baby, um, yeah. So I'm the adrenaline is running high over here. Uh,
2: and then I was running extremely late. You know, uh, I'm already really living up to the LA sort of life of just like being uh delayed because of traffic. You know? The
4: traffic. I mean. Oh
2: boy. Don't get me started. We were on the um, I don't remember the name of the road, but we were probably know. on the
4: 134. That sounds right. Okay.
2: Terrible traffic. Oh man, God. Uh and just just wanted to say my Uber driver, scary.
0: Yeah, yes. Uh, scary, scary driver. You described him uh and how you felt like he was putting your life at risk, and I asked you if he was a Toretto. Now I want to. Right off the bat, because of this, say two things, and then we will get into the meat of this episode. John Carpenter's debut film, Dark Star. But one, Ben, you come onto this Zoom, not from in Emily's house, but in Emily's driveway wearing sunglasses, (laughs) clear blue California (laughs) sky behind you on your phone, just going like, hey, guys, what's up? I think You're it is going, time hey to... you going,
1: hey guys, what's up? And then also being like, hey, Emily, do I have to do something to the door to get in? Like <laughs> making weird, like, <laughs> onvo?
4: It was really... And then I came out with my laptop already logged into the Zoom. And then we had
0: double double Ben on the screens. Look. Th- th- it was really then
4: a Darkstar-esque finagle. And then
0: Ben <laughs> ended the whole meeting. Yeah. <laughs> he closed the whole Zoom. Yeah. And transmission.
1: None of us remember how to be in the same room as another
3: no, person. absolutely not. We've
0: all forgotten. Yes, But I just want to say, I do think this occasion it calls for, because this trip really seems to have been transformative for Ben, uh, a new nickname. I think he is perhaps now Hosleywood? Ooh. <laughs> ben Hosleywood? I like that. Okay, I'm into that. But this is yeah. the other order of business I want to get off. Right off the bat, before we dig into Carpenter, Ben has, of course, graduated to a series of different tales across the course of different miniseries. Wait, no. Wait, wh- wh- I'm, not full, no. I'm not doing the full. I'm not doing the full list. I'm not doing the full. I didn't do all the fucking nicknames, but it is just a fact. It is a fact. It must be acknowledged that he has graduated to certain tales of the course of different miniseries, such as Obi Ben, Kenobi, uh, Ben, Night Shyamalan, Ben Sate, say anything, well, dot dot dot. I'll take
2: this opportunity to say, uh, "Ali Ben's with a home. dollar sign." Yeah. Oh, thank um, you. I really. Uh, Again, we kind of rushed into this. No, sorry. Continue. I was. No, just I'm struggling to remember Warhaz. Okay, sure. Uh, but yeah, I didn't really check get the wiki. The, <laughs> check the wiki. Mi- Mr. Yet. Ben Credible, you um, e- Drink Ben Hosley, Ben Hunting really, the Fennelmaker. Like lovely Home. I and, wish I could uh, show
4: you the kitchen. Unfortunately, Benglish. it's in a bit of a state of disarray right now. But
0: you
1: forgot a um, uh, or Bane. or okay. Bane. We're, we're really down.
0: Warhaz. Yeah. Beetle uh, Juice. Beetle Juice. What was the Nancy Myers one? The Hosla Day? The Hosla Day. God,
2: and the thing is, is it's still oh public
0: enemies. Yeah.
2: public enemies, know. of
0: course. I like I like, <laughs>
2: right.
0: I
4: like the idea that instead of me having gone Hollywood as was Ben's, you know a big uh-huh.
3: like through Hosling line of the last city. the beginning
4: of pandemic last year, really that's what I've gone Hollywood. Okay. Honestly, I, I feel know. more comfortable uh, with having uh, gone Hollywood. Ben
1: Hosley met Hollywood.
3: Sally. Yeah, that one's good. Uh, the Secret <laughs> well, Life of Ben. I mean, I've been doing okay. pretty good. I've Obvious. had some really yeah. good food. People are going to love listening to this. Funny. this, is, yeah, this really. is funny. Don't
2: worry. I'll bring down the nickname part way in the I middle. Mean,
4: okay, w- okay, we're going to mix, we're gonna mix the shit out of it. Oh, yeah. No, the people I, like... People can if
2: they want. <laughs> well, have, they'll have a separate cut where they can. Hear we don't. All just right. that. G-
1: guys, uh, I, I'm going to be honest. I my brain is starting to break. I can't <laughs> do all this stuff. It's great. No, I can't do it. I can't
0: do it. Did we ever come up with Elaine May? We don't have Elaine May or Singleton ones that I know. Of. OK, I was just going to say Singleton is Ben's and the Haas. Done. Fair enough. Okay, sure. Ben's in the Haas, Let's just get it over with.
4: Can the nickname be the same? As, draw from the same material as the miniseries name, though.
0: Yeah, I, I think so.
3: <laughs> oh, you think you're <laughs> okay. just making it? We're putting that that's my, right. that's my
0: official right. decree.
1: <laughs> okay. Uh huh. I don't and know what Elaine. I mean,
0: I don't know what's Elaine May. New Leaf. It doesn't feel like there's anything there. Ben Ishtar is sweaty. The Haas break kid. The Haas know. break kid. Yeah, sure. It's that's what it is. But, but
1: also weigh in, guys. You know, yeah, feel free to clean in. up our exactly. mess here. Right. But
0: I th- I think Ben's in the Haas. Let's just keep it easy. Right.
1: I I think we can do better than that. But I do not think now is the time. He
0: used to spell his name with a Z. He put Z at the end of it. It's right I there. Ben's true. in the Haas. I had a, I had a
1: yeah, whole face. That's that's true that's true he maybe
2: fit
0: that. chains into like one of the names that i feel like we haven't done that that we'll would work be that of cool. in. Ben, of course has uh rebranded in 2021 to be all about chains and bones <laughs> not that those weren't things before he's
4: wearing a literal hat that says bones right he's wearing
0: let's say he's wearing a hat that says bones and the letters are made out of bones
4: hey, wait is this a is this a congratulations uh, production.
0: It is not. I it's wish not? I could.
4: Oh, I wish wow. I could
2: claim credit for it. So somebody
4: but... just really had your number.
2: Yep. Yeah. That's I, great. I know. I love it. It's just like my personal brand. You know.
0: Uh, let's also mention Emily is wearing a directed uh, music by John Carpenter hat. Music by. Yeah. Thanks to the folks at Super
4: Yaki. It's great that we are all wearing like really you know visually important. Uh, articles of clothing for this audio format. I'm wearing
0: uh, I'm wearing a Forky hat and an Orco T-shirt. So I'm just fucking self-parody.
4: I know
1: we've been on for many years, but surely there's some new listener tuning in, being like, oh, they're covering John Carpenter. I love the films of John Carpenter. Yeah. Twenty minutes in, they're
0: just like, why would anyone listen to this show? Well, David, let me tell you something. Mm hmm. John Carpenter was born on January sixteenth, nineteen forty-eight, to Milton Gene and Howard Carpenter in Carthage, New York.
1: Yes, he's from. He was born in the North Country. That's true. Yes. Yeah, so, so, so we're just gonna hard pivot into Carpenter facts. Correct. John Carpenter, by the way, a winner of our March Madness this year. That's why we're covering him. Obviously, a long time mold candidate for us. Yes. But long time coming. Yeah. And, and in our completely flawless March Madness tournament this year, that had no hiccups. And no problems. That was so normal. Where we pitted nice. all the hosts' choices against each other. Who, of course, was was John Carpenter being championed by, but Mr. Ben Hosley,
0: the People's Champion. Yes. So
1: Ben, this is your series
2: in a way. This is a Ben's choice. It's really. It's but, like a, a a long time coming. Please, Emily. What's up?
4: No, I was going to say, but you hadn't. You haven't seen the inaugural film, which I was very excited for you to see personally. Like I just knew, okay, so I want to clear something up also. Like I'm I'm this is like through the fog of war from the March Madness uh tournament, but I I know that maybe some fans are out there like why is Emily kicking off this series? She campaigned pretty hard against Carpenter. And this is the spirit of March Madness. I love John Carpenter. I'm wearing a freaking John Carpenter hat right now. I have his albums in my cabinet. I have a fucking Dark Star poster on my wall. Like, I love I love him, and I just feel like he's a very over-discussed uh, filmmaker, but that does not mean that I'm not excited to hear you guys discuss him because I know it'll be different. But also, this movie, I feel like, is under-discussed, so that's why I wanted to lay claim to it. Early.
0: Let's also say, like, a, a, a majority, or at least a, a large uh, uh, quotient of the... Uh, People who picked other competitors in March Madness are going to be guests in this mini series. Like, th- there, there is not animosity in the Blank Check community. People had their champions, but they understood uh, most of us, uh, like most of these filmmakers.
4: Yes, yeah, yes. Yeah. I mean, it's all yeah. goodwill all around. Um,
3: all love, and,
4: and there's all like, low. I mean, I if it wasn't Dark Star, there would be like five other movies I would have liked. But
1: you. You said you wanted Dark Star, yeah. What, what, I know. What, yeah. What, are, what What are some other faves for you?
3: I, I mean, think you that know, da- they carpenters? live
4: would probably be my next top choice. I think. I think that's my favorite Carpenter. I. I. It's definitely the one I've seen the most, um, and I. I just think it has a very interesting. It's. Its legacy continues to evolve, so mm. I think that's always interesting to mm. get into. But. Um, yeah. Big trouble in Little China. Oh I don't yeah, know. yeah.
2: What what a fun like. Cult I mean, you classic, guys are gonna have so much man. fun.
4: Like like I'm being a party pooper. over You guys are gonna have a great a great time. <laughs>
2: no, you're not being a party pooper because I think like with with my picks, like Carpenter, by far was like I think probably the most like populist and just like I feel like he's just like an all around like guy that so many people can get behind, but. I think we're going to like we're really going to we got a researcher team now. Right. We're going to be like coming in hot with new hot takes
4: and facts.
0: But also, I think we have like good uh, guest pairings for these movies. And Ben, uh, sure, uh, many months ago, you and I went to a drive in double feature in the pandemic of RoboCop and uh, Escape from New York. A very Griffin Ben night. And it was in the midst of March Madness. And in between the two movies, you turned to me and you said, I feel a little guilty about the fact that John Carpenter's like steamrolling everything. Is that going to be an uninteresting series? Like you were sort of saying, like, he's such a populist pick. He has so many big movies. They're so discussed. Is that going to be an interesting pick? And I was sort of saying to you, like, I, I, I think his films are very discussed and he is very discussed as a guy. But within our format of covering everything and going week by week, The arc of his career is very fascinating and it's particularly fascinating when you consider that he's a guy uh, who's uh, it's an arc. We've not covered that much on this show, which is like one insane outsized hit at the beginning of the career. And then the rest of the career is failing to sort of reignite in that way. He got to make movies that are very personal and are distinctive. But, uh, you know, he always openly complained about the fact that he had to, like, fight tooth and nail for everything. He never got the budgets he wanted. He never had another hit on the same level as Halloween. He never had the studio support. Uh, it is just kind of fascinating when you look at, like, the this movie, which is a student film that then gets expanded to get a theatrical release, right? That's a lot of the tension of this movie that we'll get into, is that it, it, they, he and Dana Bannon had made this 50-minute student short film That was in this nether realm where they were like, it's a little long for a short. It's a little short for a feature. It could either be the most incredible like student calling card film of all time, or you can make it shoot, you know, another half of footage and put it in theaters. And uh, they did. And both of the guys kind of regretted stretching it out to feature length and how they've talked about it in the decade since.
4: And it was like complete like it was just. It, I mean, I know that it had like a proper premiere in L.A., but like was it distributed outside of L.A. or was it its theatrical release? Yes, just here?
1: mostly after Halloween, though, like it had its okay, little release yeah, before. Yeah, yeah. But after Halloween, they brought it back out in like 1979 with like post alien so they could right. advertise it as. Writer of Alien, director of Halloween, you know, they, there was a, there's a space movie they both made and that's how they they tried
0: to sell. It. I, I mean, I, 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 this I think movie it, is. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say, it, I mean, it sounds like it got a release, but it was like a crappy kind of grindhouse release. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it did play. Yeah. Um, it was it was distributed by a porn company. But but here's the thing, Emily. If you look at the reviews, most of the good reviews come from the re-release. When it first came out, most critics didn't even touch it.
4: Right. Yeah. I mean, I, I, it's funny that it got released after Alien. That makes a lot of sense because I, I love this film as like the first Carpenter film and I love it as like the primordial soup of so much stuff to come, but I love it as a pre alien movie. (laughs) It's
0: fascinating (laughs) on that level because there's like so few examples of essentially a comedy being remade as a more serious film, you know, like this movie has kind of the same relationship in a way that like, uh, airplane has to zero hour, except it's the other way around. Right. Yeah. That like, they make this comedy. I mean, the story is that like Dan O'Bannon goes to one of the houses where the movie is playing opening weekend with John Carpenter and they go to the manager and they're like, is the audience liking it? Like, are they laughing? And the guy goes, what audience And they open the door. (laughs) It's like opening night. There are four people in the theater and they're stone silent. And they realize that no one knew it was a comedy and that when they released this the first time they had tried to like this crappy sort of porn distributor had tried to in like an Ed Wood style, like, you know, pre-packaging, like sell the genre elements, tried to sell it as, oh, this is the next 2001 A Space Odyssey. So people went assuming it was going to be this sort of like uh, a solemn uh, meditation on space, and then they just thought, oh, this is bad, rather than understanding it was intentionally uh, funny.
4: I mean, it has a very... Like, its title suggests something more foreboding and, and austere than it is. Like, I, the first time I saw it, I didn't know what to expect at all from it. And I just thought it was going to be like a, you know, scrappy, yeah, like a scrappy, spooky space movie, which it is. It's just like a very, very different tone than what one might expect. But But Yeah, I watched
0: watched it last night for the first time and had that exact same experience where until it started, I didn't realize it was a comedy. I had always assumed that it was like, oh, it's the bootstrappy, like, oh, look at how resourceful we are with special effects and production values movie, but that it was a totally straight, serious thing. Yeah. Oh, man, I loved it. So, yeah,
2: I also just watched it like literally this morning for the first time. The sense of humor is so off-kilter. It's, yeah. I love it. I love future stuff, right? I mean, I love the VFX. It's so effective. Mm-hmm. Like, again, low budget. Like, all of the lettering, all of the, like, screens they create for the consoles. It's, like, amazing. Yeah. Um. But there, it's just, like, it's, like, a weird stoner, like, space crew who all are all kind of, like, just like morose and like half dead. It's hilarious. It's a I think ship it's event. so great.
4: It's it a is. ship event. It's a real dirt bag spaceship. Oh
2: my God. Yes. Yeah. I. It's like, they just won't fix parts of the ship and they've just given up on life. It's hilarious. Yeah,
4: I mean, it's, it's just funny. Cause like, I don't know. I said like dirtbag spaceship and I was also thinking of like stuff like, I don't know, like fucking firefly and stuff like that while I was watching this and I was like, but this is like, funnier because none of these guys are being sold as cool like yes. it's just like this is actually how depressing and how like sapped of life you would be after 20 years in space and basically like a like small tunnel with like a toilet like it's
0: just <laughs> yeah just it like yeah. kind of sucks
1: yeah yeah so as right as we know this movie's written by Dan O'Bannon and Carpenter right and O'Bannon goes on to make alien and alien is the movie where space is a job and these guys are blue collar. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But this is that magnify. This is and carpenter. What's his line where it's like, it's about like, what about how do you like wash your underwear in space or whatever? Right.
3: Right. Yeah. Like,
1: you know, that's what I care about. How do you clean your underwear when you're, when you're on a spaceship? Cause he'd seen 2001. And he was like, what's all this religious mumbo jumbo? No, I want to know about just like having to fix the fucking plumbing yeah. like on
0: the spaceship. Well, to roll back to sort of general Carpenter table setting for a moment, I I feel like you sort of go like, what are John Carpenter's defining characteristics, right? He is like aggressively unpretentious while being this guy who sort of did high minded genre. He always like has been very saucy and sort of spoken out against other filmmakers and other popular films of the time and sort of hates any movie that's highfalutin and self serious. Uh, There was a clip that. That was being circulated during March Madness when he was up against my competitor, Robert Altman, where he was just like fucking body slamming Altman, giving him the people's elbow, just saying, like, yeah, he's just like a lessy, messy, lazy, self indulgent, like asshole. Uh, he's like uh, talked I hate a lot when my about it. Yeah, he, he also, <laughs> like, there was a recent interview where he talked about how, like, uh, David Cronenberg acts like he's like too classy for Carpenter now. And he resents the fact that like Cronenberg felt the need to like remake himself as a prestige filmmaker and all of that, but uh, you know aggressively unpretentious, aggressively unsentimental, uh, very sort of politically minded uh, or uh, you know at least sociopolitically minded, and incredibly resourceful.
3: Yes, although
1: he's always like, I'm resourceful because no one gives me any money. Like I don't want to do all this shit. Like he's also very unpretentious about is the fact that he edits and scores. And, you know, he's like,
3: yeah. look,
0: if I could hire Jerry Goldsmith, I'd do it. But no one ever pays me enough money. I mean, our uh, our research uh, uh, researcher, J.J. Burge, uh, pulled up in here this quote where he was like, not only saying like, I only do the music because I'm cheap, I only edit because I'm cheap, but uh, saying like, I hate writing. I w- wish I could never write a screenplay ever. Yeah. Here's his line. He said, uh. I I would love to give up writing films. I hate writing. I hate editing. I'm only doing it out of self-defense because there's no one else who can do it to my liking. And the reason I've done the music on my films is because I'm the cheapest and the best I know for the price.
4: But he's also just like one of the best. Like, I yeah. don't know. Like And he's clearly proud of himself as a musician. Like, yeah. he does like DJ sets. He releases albums. Like He does I concerts mean, with
0: his son. Yeah. He goes on tour and plays all of his soundtracks.
4: Yeah. I mean, he he has to, at this point, at least have reappraised that because clearly, I don't know. I mean, people love it.
0: His father had a PhD in music, was a session musician for big ass people like Johnny Cash and Frank Sinatra, Roy Orbison. And uh, his dad was an army band leader, organist and choir director, principal violinist in Nashville Symphony, like very kind of Tony musician background. And Carpenter started out with music at a very young age. I think that was uh, sort of pushed on him, but he took to it. And then movies kind of became the hobby. And it was sort of a coin flip between movies and music for him. He started going to University of Kentucky, uh, Western Kentucky, where um, his father taught? taught. Right. And then he decided to uh, transfer to USC to do film. Um, so, I mean, he, you know, music is not a dalliance for him.
1: I mean, a very Ben fact about him is that he was in a rock band called Kaleidoscope in Kentucky. That just sounds like something Ben would do in the 70s or 60s or whatever.
0: But he he's also he is this generation, like the first generation to grow up with uh, film cameras in the home. You know, he said African Queen was the first movie he saw, which is another interesting thing to consider that like, oh, right. For so long, kids movies didn't really exist and the first movies kids would see when they were four or five would be adult movies. Would be Humphrey Bogart, like a fucking arguing with Catherine Hepburn on a boat. <laughs> yeah. And that's what your parents take you to when you're a toddler.
1: But he also like he but the things he liked was like he saw it came from outer space and that blew his mind, right? Like things like that, like the thing from another world, obviously. Um, is King Kong, right? Like, you know, it's it's the genre movies
0: that, that kids could engage with, right? The earnest appreciation of genre movies, not like claiming them, like reclaiming them in some sort of trash camp way, but just like, this is the world I want to live in. Howard Hawks is his all-time favorite guy. Rio Bravo is like his favorite movie of all time, which he sort of remakes with uh, Assault on Precinct 13. But right. he talked a lot about how like that's the filmmaker he wanted to be. Like, there, there are interviews with him in 1978, like right after Halloween at the absolute peak of his career, where he's like, I'm out of step with all the filmmakers of my generation and the industry at this time. I wish I could be transported back to the 1940s. I wish I was a guy who could make five movies a year for the studio and have access to that equipment and those stars and all of that.
1: Yeah, it's funny. He's a new Hollywood generation guy, but not. He's, he he doesn't feels a really little get anomalous
3: yeah
4: I mean, when you think about him like this coming out two years before Star Wars or whatever, and you know, he goes on to make stuff that's pretty populous, but like in a completely different way than like a Jaws or whatever. yeah, this came out in 75, so it's like this yeah, I mean, it feels like both aware of that wave of filmmaking and like completely on another like wavelength, I don't know.
0: Uh, I mean, here here's a really good quote from him talking about like his love of uh, Howard Hawks. Right. Uh, he said, I believe shot should tell the story first and foremost so much, because when you use the camera to express an emotion by an exaggerated angle or something, that's fine. But if you have to do it because what's happening on screen is not interesting or compelling enough, then you're in trouble. If people are talking, that's more important than the director saying, hey, look at me. I'm a director. I can do all this. Who cares about that anyway? The audience cares about what's on the screen. Film school allowed me to grab the camera and zoom in and out and show off. I hate show offs and I hate pretension. Like he's like, I got all that experimentation out of my system. You make the movie in the most like direct, clean way possible. And you think about like against his contemporaries, there's so much experimentation. There's so much like very visible in your face sort of like uh, style in New Hollywood. Right. You have all the still like runoff of the the uh, Nouvelle Vague influence. And you have these genre directors coming in and like trying to reinvent the language and make everything really splashy and also like push forward special effects. And he's just kind of a guy who like gets it done.
4: That's also why it's funny. He says he like doesn't like writing because I think I mean, when you said that, I was like, I think I like John Carpenter as much, if not more so as a writer. Hard to agree. Than I, as a director. I mean, like I, I whatever. He's a great director. But like, I think that especially. Funny Carpenter is some of my favorite shit in the world, like writing wise and 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 humor wise, timing wise, all of that. I don't know.
1: It's no, you're right. He's so funny, and he's usually like ten years ahead of the joke in terms of Hollywood. I feel like that is why so often he sort of flops with the studios because he'll make a movie like Big Trouble in Little China, and then like for years after, just be like nobody got. What I was going for above me, people like who saw the movie eventually got it. You know what I mean? But like, yeah, the whole the whole time, the studio's like, wait, why isn't this like points to you know mainstream hit? Like, why isn't this like that? I thought that's what you were giving us. And he's like, no, 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 like that's boring. Like, and Dark Star, this movie feels like fifty years ahead. Yeah, of, like if this movie came out now and looked you know fancy or whatever, but was the same, like this would still be an insanely clever bit of commentary This is an HBO
4: Max original, baby. Yeah. Well. Oh,
0: God. (laughs) This movie would take it to the max. Absolutely. No, but it it is interesting that he's like, I wish I was in the 40s. And then he makes all these movies that don't get appreciated until like 10 or 20 years later. He's like unmoored from the time he's making them. And he's both like behind and ahead of the movements. But it's also funny that he's like, I
1: hate this visual, like this splashy show off shit. And it's like, dude, you invented like... You know, voyeuristic steady cam shots. The, sure. You know, yeah, you, yeah. there's like all of your language is like baked into modern cinema. Like yeah. you you're you could be a flashy director, but he's not a I don't know what's the word. He's just not
0: like a braggy director. That's not quite the word I'm looking for. Well,
4: he's not pretentious. Not like, pretentious.
0: No, yeah. when you think of like De Palma working at the same time, someone who's like really showing off his understanding of like cinematic language he's not pretentious i mean yeah you know like (laughs) all these quotes jj pulled up all these interviews like from 1978 you know where he's just shitting all over close encounters in 2001 and he's like spielberg fucked it up like here you go make a flying saucer movie what's with all this like morose shit
1: but this is the other thing we have to say this will come up in every episode i'm sure he is Hollywood's all-time shit poster. He will just give an interview to Fangoria or who you know, like anyone who calls up basically, and be and just growl at them. He's He's been doing that since he was young. It's not like he did that now in retirement. He's gotten more salty. He's always been salty. Like he, he loves to be salty.
0: He's a salty old space
2: dog, one could argue. Man, I he would have loved salt. to have hung out with him when he was just like a chain-smoking young guy in the 70s. He seems he's like he was such a, a character. Man. No, oh, of course, yeah. but I'm just like to see him in his prime, like he just strikes me as such a like, he's like in a weird guy in that he's like, very like
0: artful, but kind of a tough guy. I don't know. That's like a real type that I love. You know. He also is one of these guys where like he looks so incredible now, like this is how he's meant to look his entire life. And then you look at photos of him in like his 20s and you're like, that's a really, really young looking old dude. Like it doesn't he never feels like a young man. It feels like he just aged into what he was supposed to be. Like he fits into that horror director thing where you're like, That looks like what a horror director should look like.
1: Yeah, it's like, is this guy about to warn me not to go down that road? He looks like the guy (laughs) at the gas station who's like, well, I've been a lot of trouble for young guys, young kids out here. Right.
0: And he has this sort of like visible bitterness on his face at all times that he can't hide. But also when he does interviews down, people are like, will you ever make another movie? And he's like, I don't care. I'm old. I'm just going (laughs) to become the best at playing Xbox. That's my goal now. (laughs) Right i just want to get better at xbox
4: (laughs) but he just always says like that's my only thing he's up there with miyazaki as far as like kind of like shit post uh soundbite old guy directors and i love them both like i want them to be my grandpa and (laughs) and they're both
1: guys that like i feel like people come to them on their knees being like you are my idol and they just
0: like smoke a cigarette and they're like I am, you know, I'm merely a plumber.
4: Anime was a mistake.
0: (laughs) Right. (laughs) Shut the fuck up. I made a good sandwich yesterday. That's the only thing you should respect (laughs) about me. (laughs) (laughs) Like resentment towards anyone who respects them too much.
4: I want to be like that someday. I feel like, I feel like we will have achieved, like, gender parody in cinema when there's when there's well, I guess Elaine May is kind of like that, too, in a way.
0: She's sort of I think Elaine May has got some of that. Claire Denise got some of that. Certainly when she bodied David in that interview about Sweet (laughs) what
1: (laughs) She didn't body me in the interview. She bodied me prior to the interview.
4: Wait, what did she say? <laughs> Can't we, should we take it off air?
1: Oh, I've, t- I've told the story on Mike, but basically I tried to bond with her over our sweet green orders because we were eating the same sweet green thing. And she looked at me like I was a worm, as she should, and said, aren't you just supposed to ask me questions?
4: You tried to bond with Claire Denis over your sweet green <laughs> orders. I mean, I just tried
1: to <laughs> begin a dialogue with her. Would she get
4: a like
1: you know what? I think we both greens. had harvest bowls. I can't remember. <laughs> shrew <mommy. laughs> Imagine presenting a shrew mommy to her and being being like, "What this is called is a shrew." Mommy. She would, she would <laughs> melt you. She'd melt you. It's
4: a play on umami, the fifth taste. <laughs> uh, uh, this is this movie is a real shrew
1: It's so dark star. So I wait. So Emily and I are the only ones who've seen it before. I saw Dark Star. I think I also expected when I watched Dark Star. I think I thought it was a straight up horror movie. I think that's and it had that poster of the frozen guy. I know it has scary.
4: It's got a very scary poster.
1: It's it's a scary poster. Right. Yeah. So I think maybe I thought it was like people getting picked off on this and it's called Dark Star, which sounds and then I I, I cue it up and I'm like, it is a student film. And like, that's their take where they're like, this was like the best student film and kind of a mediocre movie. Right. Like, you know, it, it should have been a student film forever. Right. It's at the top of the heap as a student film. That's what a Carpenter and Obannon think, but it's so special, in my opinion. Yeah. yeah, it's funny without being remotely quippy or like what's the word? Not clever, but like self aware. Yeah, and it's so dense with themes, even though it also isn't that interested in exploring them. Or like, it's not going to dig too deep. But like, if you want to think about Dark Star and about bombs becoming self aware. And like things like that. You can have a, you could think about it for weeks.
4: Yeah. I mean, I think like to go back to the title, I feel like the trick that this movie pulls. And I mean, it's, 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 it's weird to talk about it like that because it is a student film and it is a little off the cuff, but I think tonally it isn't a parody. And this, when you, like, as I did last night, when you stream it on, um, why can I think of what it's called when you get a movie on Apple? Apple movies,
0: Apple TV. Apple TV, Apple TV.
4: Okay, I mean, I got it on the Apple. I watched it on the Apple TV. Ugh, whatever, I don't know. My brain is burnt. Uh, but yeah, when you get it, like the little summary on it is like in this spoof on 2001: A Space Odyssey, which I can see. Like Griffin's background right now is the 2001: <laughs> A Space Travesty DVD cover, apparently. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, it's not that. And I, I, it had been a second since I saw this movie. And I was like, I don't think that's what it is. Is it? And then I started watching. It, it's like, no, it's not a parody, but it's funny. And it doesn't need to be a parody to be funny. Like it's not. Aren't space movies stupid? It isn't even like I mean, I m- maybe Carpenter feels like this personally, but it doesn't feel like it wasn't 2001 stupid movie. It's just like, no, I have a different set of questions to ask about space. Yeah.
0: <laughs> like- yeah. Like it doesn't feel like a parody. It does feel like a movie that generates From Carpenter and Dan O'Bannon, like, talking about 2001 for six hours after seeing it. Yeah. And Carpenter just being like, I don't understand why Stanley Kubrick wouldn't be interested in asking these 12 questions, you know?
4: It's basically like, like, does Bong Rip post 2001? Right. And is like. (laughs) Which many did. What if you could just, like, talk to Hal about phenomenology like (laughs) with that would that solve your problems Uh, I'm looking
0: at the posters here right and these are from the original release I believe both there's the one with the frozen guy and the tagline at the top is the spaced out odyssey dark star the mission of the strange love generation which is very much making it sound like some trippy absurdist comedy right and then the other poster is mostly like the ship and then it says from Alan Dean Foster, first 2001, a space odyssey, then the Poseidon adventure, now Dark Star, a bombed out in space with a spaced out bomb.
1: So They're, they're going for the stone. The, this movie was initially distributed by a pornographer, I believe. Right. Like the yeah. Deep stroke guy. And so they're they're going for you know they just want to try and drag in some stoned, just like make college it a students head
4: movie basically. Which I mean, it's not not that it's like as I texted you guys before. I think this is the most stoned movie you have ever covered. It is,
1: and I I went through every episode of that just to make sure that you were right. But there was nothing that even comes close. Yeah. This is a stoned movie, but this is like a really stoned movie in that sometimes it trails off and everyone's just kind of sitting in silent for in silence for a few minutes and then everyone was like what are we wait what were we talking about like are you like it, it, it actually has that energy it's not trying to do that in in a uh, professional uh populist yeah. hollywood kind of way sometimes you're just such watching the movie and you're like you're
4: just watching some guys sitting on mattresses <laughs> right. and like when did this scene <laughs> begin what's this scene about <laughs>
0: I would love to see this movie in a theater
4: like this is. I I saw it uh, at Metrograph uh, a while ago. Yeah. Yeah, Rolls. It was a shitty, shitty print, but it was fun as hell. Well, I mean,
0: I don't know if a good version of this movie exists. Like there was also there are multiple sources It's 16 millimeter largely. Um, I don't think it's ever been restored. Uh, Dana Bannon always kind of shit on every home video release of it looking bad until i think the blu-ray release was the first one he sort of approved of he also i mean they you know did not get along very well uh split off after this movie
1: right let's do a little dan o'bannon talk Dan o'bannon is just the king of not getting along with anybody (laughs) yes yeah i think dan o'bannon might just be a bit of a a rough hang if you want to you know professionally mount a movie (laughs) like right like He's, yeah. Even though he's in the fucking thing, he's all over the. He's. Let's talk about Dan O'Bannon Griffin. And Emma, uh-huh. I assume you also love Dan O'Bannon.
4: Of course. Yeah. I mean, also like like uh, yes, he goes on to do iconic things after this. I love his performance in this movie. <laughs> he's, he's so funny.
1: <laughs> very funny in this movie. In that kind of natural, I don't give a shit. Sort of yeah. like it, it impossible to fake kind of way. So he plays Pinback, of course, uh, mm-hmm. who is the, I, I always, because it's the inspiration for Pinbacker and sunshine. There's another pin. There's a lot of pin. There's a band
4: scene. Pinback. Let's a band forget Pinback. Nice.
1: We cannot forget.
4: Uh, only early 2000s kids. <laughs>
1: But so Griff, he's a USC guy, too, right? He's uh, he he's I believe he says that he found an ad for USC film school in a Playboy and was like, all right, I'll go there. Like that was how he got to USC. Uh, He makes this movie with Carpenter. That makes me
4: so mad. Sorry. I'm
2: just like (laughs) for so
4: many reasons.
0: Why does it
2: make you mad?
4: (laughs)
0: Emily, do you think there's something wrong with the pipeline of who gets to work in Hollywood and who was? It Welcome. makes me
4: mad. First of all, that USC Film School was advertised in a magazine as if it was like full sale university or something, and then it makes me mad that it was Playboy. <laughs> I'm just like, oh god, okay, that explains literally everything. Uh, carry on.
1: <laughs> I think back then, right? This it was still sort of like, are people really going to go to yeah, film, film school? school? Like, right? Like, but this would have been a, a time where it was
4: like that. This is just post the time because like all the. All the, like, 70s film rat guys were going to school in the 60s and, like, I guess early 70s when it was aggressively uncool right. to, like, want to work in Hollywood. And then they ended up turning it around for the most part. But this would have been, like, kind of just post that wave. And, like, you start to see that generation kind of making good. I, I say making good in quotes. because,
0: <laughs> But even so, like, them advertising in playboy is like if usa to uh, usc today was uh like buying a lot of sponsored posts on r slash incels yeah like it was like are you too horny and feel ostracized by your community come make movies
4: listen i have no problem with with horny people making movies as we discussed pre-record sure uh all for it i just and honestly like it's not quite that like i think that there's there's probably a little bit of a lighter touch to the average uh, Playboy reader in 1972 or whatever. Then
0: people who post on our Insel, hmm, interesting.
4: But uh, they might be a little bit more sex positive but in, in a completely retrograde way, but I don't even hmm. want to get into it. But yeah, whatever, I don't have to, it's self-explanatory, <laughs> you know.
0: I mean, I just want to read, uh, uh, JJ put up a lot of wild quotes about uh, Dana Bannon, who is, uh, was a wild, wild fucking uh, human being including some of his uh, very, very odd public statements about women. But I just want to share this one because I feel like it kind of sums up his attitude. Uh, Girls always considered me creepy, but I'm used to being alone now. Of all the areas in my life, the most terrible with the least success has been with women. When I was a kid, I wanted to get laid so bad. I was such a horny kid. In my 20s, I grew up a little and I wanted a stable relationship with one lady. It didn't work. I see other people happy in relationships and I'm such an envious person. Dot, dot, dot. I hadn't had a baker's dozen of women until I was 28. Then I got money when we started working on Alien. Since then, I must have had 300 women. I fuck my brains out. Washington Post, July 29th, 1979.
3: What the hell? I've never heard this before.
4: What?
0: A lot of things there. A baker's dozen of women?
4: Is this a a well-known thing about Dan O'Bannon? Like... I
0: didn't know. I didn't know. And also, I've never heard someone cite the baker's dozen of women like that's some fucking benchmark. Every everyone's so excited to hit their baker's dozen. It's the fucking 13th punch on your smoothie card. Like, that's what he's making it sound like. It was Why so hard you? for me to get to Gross. a baker's it dozen. It not to be a smoothie card? I don't know. I'm sorry.
1: So Dan O'Bannon, for people who don't know, after making this movie, he is such an inventive uh, guy especially in terms of special effects this movie is like the first ever hyperspace effect basically right this sort of like mm-hmm. you know like that's the fr- that George Lucas calls him up and it's like come work on Star Wars and he was like busy working on Jodorowsky's Dune so he didn't even get to work on the production of Star Wars he worked on it in post production I think like he's the kind of like elbow grease and scotch tape type like visual effects genius who can sort of come up with something that the movie making has not yet figured out how to represent and then also he's this absolute fucking maniac who writes these brilliant screenplays and then hollywood gets them and it's like can, can all right make that guy send him to a desert or something we're gonna clean this up you know what i mean yeah. like with like someone uh pick him
4: up in a cab and then he has a nervous breakdown and Right. Say you're taking him to the Playboy (laughs)
0: Mansion and drop him off in like Nevada. I don't want to hear from him again. But also he created Alien. So he just made money for the rest of his life. Like he just had that original story credit that paid out every time they did fucking anything with Alien as a property. Like if you look at his IMDb, it's like 27 writing credits that are created characters based on characters created by for every fucking like alien video game and what have you.
4: And and, you know, as much as we might not have alien without this movie, we might not have it without Godorowski's doom. because <laughs> he like I think he wrote like I don't know. I read that he wrote alien kind of in the wake of having a complete nervous breakdown after that movie collapsed and like It's kind of funny because, like, Dark Star is before Nervous Breakdown and Alien is post. Like, (laughs) seems like a fun guy.
0: (laughs) The the two things sound like the Jodorowsky Dune experience, like, turning him, curdling him even more than he was before.
4: Made him, like, a complete basket case, yeah.
0: But also that, like, he was really fucking affected by the failure of Dark Star and, like, that moment where he walks into the screening room at the theater and no one's laughing. And they don't get it's a comedy and that like Alien was this vindictive movie of like, oh, I tried to make a comedy and they took it on the level and thought it was dumb. Yeah, fine. I'll do the same movie, but make it fucking horrifying and aggressive. Right. Did
1: you guys I mean, because I, I watched the Blu-ray like which has a note by him at the beginning. Did you guys get the
0: note? I did not. I, I should have gotten the Blu-ray. I will purchase it now.
1: There's a note that just scrolls by written by him where he he talks about the no one was laughing at the first screening. And, you know, he he brings that up and he's basically like, this is a comedy. You have to laugh at it. Like he's try he's trying it ahead of you watching the movie to be just just FYI. Like, you you don't have to. There's some funny line at the end where he's like, you don't have to laugh unless I'm in the room is, is his sort. Of, but it does have that kind of energy of like ah, none of you fuckers got it. I guess I should type something up.
4: Well, the funny thing is that like when I saw this in a theater, I remember it was not a super packed theater and I was doing like, this is a movie that elicits like explosive sudden laughter from me because it's so absurd. So I was just like yelping by myself in this theater. And I will say that like there it wasn't like riotous in the house. Like it was kind of me just making loud noises. Uh <laughs> So I don't know. Maybe it's not for everybody.
0: (laughs) It's a very particular sense of humor. It's very understated. It does feel like the movie is not pitched like a comedy. Like the movie does not telegraph to you. It's a comedy in its filmmaking style, which I think throws people off. Like you have to come kind of meet it on its level. It is fascinating that like, considering that he goes on to work on Star Wars, that he creates Alien, that he does Return of the Living Dead, which is like he writes and directs and that's a huge cult movie in its own right, that Dan O'Bannon felt, it feels like spent 40 years being like the ambassador of Dark Star in the way that like Bob Gale has committed his career to being like the ambassador of Back to the Future and just continue to fucking do interviews and screenings and supervise all these home video releases and do documentaries. And like Carpenter kind of like has refused to look back on this movie as like, it's my one movie that's amateurish. We never should have made it a feature. I don't really want to talk about it. Whereas Dan O'Bannon like went back and re-edited it two times, like was adamant about constantly trying to contextualize this movie So that people would get it like and and tinkering with it.
4: Yeah, there's a special kind of sickness of like retooling your student film that much. I I recently watched my thesis film like not that long ago after, I don't know, a decade of having not seen it. I was like, oh, I never want to watch that again in my life. There's a reason I haven't watched that for 10 years.
0: Right. And like. Dana Binnen was like, I am committed to one day getting the response I want at a screening from this movie. Like, how do I get people's heads in the right space? How do I change the movie itself? I want this thing to play the way it did in my mind.
4: It'd be one thing if he hadn't gone on to do anything else. That's the thing. Exactly. <laughs> like That's so what's crazy. wild about it. What yes. A, what a crazy man. I I know, you know, yeah, whatever.
0: It's, it's so fucking odd. Um, yes what a what a
4: brilliant person uh yep. and and what a performance um i mean that 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 letter that you uh mentioned like at the top of the his blu-ray voice just, yeah i mean it sounds like i mean it just sounds very pin, pin back leaving his his diary entry but nobody appreciates me here.
0: It, it's so funny and if you look at like the imdb quotes page for this movie it just kind of reads like weird twitter posts Yes yes you know the increasing trend of weird Twitter doing like dialogue exchanges within a fictional yeah. reality that you're dropped into and you're having to sort of like surmise the context within only 180 characters or whatever uh, what is it now 240 uh, reminds me of that but yes they get like a thousand dollars from USC uh, USc would put up a small amount of the budget for these movies but in exchange technically retained. The rights to any student films, which comes into play later because they literally had to like heist the film canisters from the USC campus in order to be able to give it to this distributor to release.
4: I think that's still the way that USC worked, at least when I was in film school, because I remember everybody being like, oh, well, you know, who? We don't even want to be at USC because you don't get to own your film. And it's just like, oh, but everybody who goes to USC
2: goes on to have yeah, uh, right. much
4: more fruitful careers.
2: Then. Wait, did Carpenter graduate? I can't remember. Didn't he like kind of leave school and not finish because of this movie? Um, I'm not sure if he graduated. I don't know. He- I feel like he walked away and just was like, well, whatever. I'm not going to be told what to do.
1: Uh, I yeah he did quit yes he quit at USC to make his first yes he quit to make this wow. movie okay. and, uh, we, badass he made a movie at USC called Captain Voyeur that is an obvious precursor to Halloween and that it's about a person stalking a woman and it's got like sort of some of the visual elements uh, he made he worked on a movie called The Resurrection of Bronco Billy that was like an Oscar winner I think for short film yeah it won for short film but he didn't direct. But he wrote it and he edited it and, you know, he like did the music. He, it was like his first big effort. Has anyone seen that? No. No, I uh, no, I've never seen it. Uh, I, yeah, I should check it out. I think it was a hit enough that like Universal, like put it in theaters for a long time. Like it was it was, you know, whatever they would throw it on, they would throw it in front of a feature. Right. But it, it was like well regarded enough.
0: Yeah. It's, it's a 23 minute short film. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So that's all cool. I know I say this all the time, but like, we can't discuss the plot of Dark Star. Can we? There's not really no.
2: We really can't. I mean,
1: there's guys. They're on. They're blowing up planets. Blows up planets, right?
0: (laughs) To, To sort of clear out space, right? There. There's also this odd fact. There's like a 50 minute movie that they shot. That then a year or two later, they went back and both were like, "Let's improvise some shit." Like this is. The only time Carpenter was like, I ever allowed improv. We were sort of like making stuff up on the day, not just improvised dialogue, but like improvising plot lines and uh, uh, character movements and whatever. Um, But also like the entire fucking beach ball with the claw sequences in the reshoots later. Yeah, I was going to say that feels lifted in. Right. There's like a 40 or 50 minute short film here that is just these guys have been here for 20 years. They hate each other. They hate this fucking job. They wish they hadn't signed up for it. It's like mundane hell, as he put it. It's like waiting for Godot in space. And then there's like 50 minutes interspersed in the movie of these like weird closed looped plot lines or conflicts.
4: Well, specifically the the alien one, like yeah, and the like. There's a prolonged kind of pinback versus the alien sequence, which is just like I remember kind of the first time I saw that. I probably had had some drinks and I remember just like my mind
2: completely wandering. It's just uh, yes,
4: it goes on
0: forever and ever. It's
2: Looney Tunes. Yeah, it it's is. just a, yeah. A, it's like an extended Looney Tunes bit. Like yeah. That's what it feels like.
0: It's literally a beach ball with claws. Like I saw someone describe it that way and I was like, oh, that's like them calling the alien the big chap or something. And then you look at it like, no, it's a it's a beach ball with claws.
4: Yeah um that makes a little squeaky sound and i think they just like spray painted some rings <laughs> on it. like
2: it's yes
4: it's so it's so purposefully janky but it's also like again like yes this goes on to be a xenomorph later for Dino Panem, but like i don't know it also is such a carpenter creature which is the other thing i love about carpenter's creature shit like i love I love creepy things puppets all all that stuff uh and this is just such a this just feels like such a rudimentary first one that it's very like precious to witness (laughs) it's very it's super cute um
2: that set though of where the elevator is going up and down is super impressive
4: yeah I mean you can tell they shot it like with with him on his stomach and everything but it's still like That's the fun thing. It's like, oh, that must have been so fun to figure out and shoot and all that and be like on your shitty like school soundstage or whatever, like with your little cardboard set and like make this entire, you know, literal cliffhanger action sequence. I'm like, oh, that's the good stuff. That's so fun.
0: At least as Wikipedia puts it right, they they shoot the 45 minute thing, 16 millimeter, six thousand dollars. Then. People pitch them on the idea of going theatrical with it. This Canadian distributor named Jack Murphy uh, gives them the support uh, to shoot 50 minutes uh, three years later. And that's uh, the asteroid storm, uh, uh, playing the bottles as musical instruments, the sleeping quarters, uh, all the stuff in the hallway. And the the whole beach ball alien uh, plot line, right? Um, Then John Landis, who's friends with O'Bannon, what a surprise, uh, (laughs) brings the movie to Jack Harris, who's a different producer distributor who got the rights somehow. And he thought 30 minutes of what was in the movie was boring and unusable. So then he cut that out and had them shoot an additional chunk of 35 millimeter footage after that. So there's like three different shooting periods for this movie.
1: And I think it's getting more and more slapstick as it goes on. Like the original. That's the other thing. Student-y yes. film was this more sort of solemn, odd work, workers in space type thing. And it just gets goofier and goofier. Right. Yes, exactly. Um, and it, I think the more stuff is also like, there's no more script. So they're just like, just improvise, just, you know come up with shit and carpenter talks about it like where he's like i will never do anything that loose again like that i yeah it taught me discipline to make a movie in such a bizarre way
0: but also like as much as he tries to fucking write off how much he cares about doing the music and the editing and the script and all that sort of shit it's the one area in which he kind of like shows his ass which is just like the guy just does love having control over his stories. Like he is a holistic thinker about all aspects of this. Mm-hmm. And he might say, well, I can't afford to hire someone else to fucking do it. But it's also like he prefers that all of that's under his purview. There's a little bit of the Soderbergh thing there where it's like, yeah. if I take on six jobs, I know I can make the movie cheaper and I'll get everyone out of my fucking hair. And one way or the other, it's going to end up the way I want it.
1: Absolutely.
0: I'm trying to figure out what the f- what are you trying to figure out, Chris? No, the final production number. I guess it was $60,000 in total.
1: Yeah, is the sighted budget. Yes. It went um, from six right. to went, 60. I think it started at like 1,000, right? And it becomes 60. I mean, honestly, it's one of those things where you're like, you're both like, this costs $60,000. And also you're like, how the fuck did they make this for 60000 You know, it both yes. looks cheap. But also you're like, I mean, knowing what it's like at the time, you have to buy cam- rent cameras and buy film and all like.
0: That's it's expensive yeah sure and you compare this to shit like plan 9 from outer space like 20 years earlier you know and this certainly looks a lot more accomplished than that i mean this movie does like the, the alien uh, lineage is is very obvious in this, right? Like the whole blue Definitely. collar, like we're sending grunts to space and they're having to take the shitty jobs and like the kind
2: of like nihilistic approach to like the relationship to the company and just like how human life is just like. It's like uh, spendable. You know what I'm trying to say. Like it's like,
0: well, yeah, and and the ship voice and their relationship to it is so much more similar to me than what ends up happening with Mother in the Alien films than Hal, which is ostensibly what they're riffing on. You know, like Hal, it really feels like Hal has a mind and a perspective and an ethos of his own. This voice has the sort of like cruel indifference of Mother. Where it's just like, you're a bug. You don't matter. My, my like, commands are to just get this fucking done. Uh, you're expendable. Um, what was the other thing I was going to say? Oh, but the other, thing, the other thing with this, and like it's interesting, he doesn't come on to Star Wars until post, but Lucas clearly had seen this movie and was impressed yeah. by him. And this feels like maybe this was the first example of like dirty, used, worn sci-fi. You know, which is the thing that Star Wars, like, revolutionizes on that kind of scale, that execution, uh, obviously that level of, like, mainstream success. But just even the fact that they have such a limited budget and such limited resources and, like, O'Bannon and Carpenter are themselves physically making most of these sets by hand, right? Uh, Carpenter's carpentry uh, at work. It is. So telling that rather than like trying to make a fucking forbidden planet ship on a $6,000 budget, their approach is this ship should suck. It should be depressing and drab,
2: you know? Oh my God. The, the blocking of them in that control, like the panel. opening
4: shot going through them is like, I don't really know how you do that. That's like, the, like, it's such a good opening shot. Cause I'm like, wait a second, wait a second. How are they blocking this? It's so good.
2: Yeah. That is, like, they're, so funny and effective. Sorry, David Cope.
1: No, no, I can't. You're absolutely, I just agree with you. And and their banter, they're, like, resigned. What's the line Griffin wanted? The 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 backup, but don't you talk to You want to, to, me, to
4: name basically. the star? Yeah. <laughs> right? No, that's, that's one of the things that I just, like, <laughs> shriek at. It's so yes. fun. It's just, like like, these are people in space who absolutely don't
0: care about space. And it's just, yeah, it's uh, super funny. Right. It's just, yeah. like, they signed up for this job and they regret it. You know, it's like one of them didn't even them. sign
2: up for it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> one of them literally just put on the suit and then they couldn't he, he couldn't in get time it get it to convince them or whatever. Like that's just a funny idea too. I don't know. Yeah. God. Yeah. This well, thing is it's great. also
1: it's also funny that this absolute shit ship filled with bored like technicians who don't like have the who are low status is blowing up whole planets like that it, it is so unimaginably <laughs> destructive that like in a marvel movie we would have to assemble the fucking avengers to deal with these guys they're blowing up into and instead they're just like all right bombs away cool let's get out and they're of
4: like here. oh there's a there's signs of intelligent life it's like i don't want a planet where so i don't care that there's intelligent
0: life on this planet give me something i can blow up like- but it's also just like like contract like deforestation you know it's yeah, like it's- they're doing this job that they know is inhumane. But for whatever reason, this has just become like an accepted evil in the world. And it's just methodically done without any thought. I'm trying to figure out where I read this because um, I, I want to give credit to whoever made this observation or this connection. But like the helmets in the movie, right, when the guys actually leave the ship are a retrofitting of this very popular toy, uh, a kid's space helmet at the time. It was like a very popular product uh, dress up for kids in like the post-space race era. And so it's adults wearing these helmets that they've tried to class up that are a size too small to fit onto them. Oh my God. And some critic I read made the point that it's like even that which is like on its face just a reality of their limitations ends up leading this like power to the movie of like, it, it they're so irrelevant that their suits don't even fit them correctly. You know, yeah. they're like yeah. uncomfortable doing the thing they're supposed to be doing. There's nothing glamorous about it. I love their little bubble at the top of the ship.
4: Yeah. Talby, Talby's bubble. I mean, yeah, I like that you have kind of these very clear profiles of these dudes, too, even though they're all kind of uniformly depressed and like dysfunctional. But like you do have the like. Guy who's kind of gone space crazy up in in the cockpit and like is kind of the more cosmic brained one. I mean, I love those conversations up in the cockpit where they're just like, where you know, where they plant the surfing seed, but it's just at the time, just seems like two guys just shooting the shit in like space and um, talking about asteroids and stuff. I don't know.
2: The blonde guy with the mustache, who's kind of the aggro one. Is that Ben? (laughs) Well.
4: (laughs) (laughs)
3: <laughs> These are all
2: my different personalities. This truly, this is like my multiplicity. <laughs> um, but he is like very, um, he's, he's very much boiler. doing my favorite thing. Boiler. It's like, oh, right. Of course. Boiler. boiler is his name. Yes. Smoking like backwoods on a spaceship. Come on. You know, like what? This is so great. Uh, and then the gun that he's using that space, like Ray gun, uh, it looks great. Like, um, uh, the lasers on this look great, you know, man, this is like, I would love to like go to like a stoner screening of this movie. Oh, yeah. man. It's so fun.
4: I mean, I, I was, I was hey.
2: thinking about
4: the context of their mission and like how we find out about it. And I just remember the whole opening part where you have the kind of transition from back on earth. Um, and I'm thinking back on that now. I'm like, how does nobody go into this movie not realizing it's a comedy from it's, the jump? Uh, that, like, that yeah. part is so absurdist. It's very, it's very, like, airplane. It's very uh, kind of deadpan absurdist. Um, and then, I mean, it doesn't, it's not necessarily the tone of the rest of the movie, but it's just, like, obviously setting up the fact that this is a a silly, like, pointless mission that's just, like, kind of depressing and mind-numbing and, like, the kind of, you know, like, Oh yeah, we're watching it all on TV back home. We had a memorial for your friend who died. Like, um, oh, sorry about the radiation. Like, you know, it's just, I, I, I don't know how you like. I don't know how anybody watched this. Was like, oh, this must be for real.
0: <laughs> it's also fascinating that like Dan O'Bannon doesn't have an active hand in Aliens with a dollar sign, but this open feels so much like the Riser character in Alien, and that yes. whole sort of role yeah. that the first Alien doesn't have of like oh, this is what the like smug company officials are like, even just the fact that it's communicated over the screen and whatever. And you also I know it's not like aliens created this, but that you have the fucking knife game with the hand, you know, that's another
4: thing I just yelp at when he pokes himself in the hand. But it's just like a gentle poke. It's not like he does like grievous damage to his hand. It's it's just just like like he can't do the trick. (laughs)
0: <laughs> everything in this movie is kind of just like a minor inconvenience. You know, it's like people who just hate their day job, except the problem is their day job is also their entire lifestyle. Like they have now gotten themselves stuck in this all consuming suck.
4: It's very and there's the whole like they're sleeping in. I don't know what the room is, but it's not their bunk and they've been using the bunk for something else. And it just feels like that's the part where you're like, oh, yeah, this is made by college kids because it just truly feels like, oh, here are four men who like don't know how to take care of themselves and are like not going to put in the effort to get a better sleeping situation for themselves. They're just going to live in squalor on mattresses with like f- like food junk everywhere on the floor. Like it's just so they when you open the door to that room, it's just like, ah, college. Well,
2: and it's also <laughs> hilarious that We're it's train like spotting. dad is gone. Right. Because like the, the leader, he got electrocuted. Something happened to him. Right. You think he's dead. We'll get to that he's later. He's stuck in cryosleep. Which right. is like a truly like a cosmic, like tragedy. Like I'm like, I saw that and it's like hilarious, but also like t- terrifying. Yeah. It's like basically like tripping and never like coming out of it or something, you know? Ooh, uh,
3: ooh, yeah. That, that you know?
2: unsettled me. <laughs> you truly, that. you know, yeah. like that's what it, like, it feels like, um, but wait i forgot what i was saying now fuck
4: that's very appropriate yeah damn yeah. it's very
2: <laughs> accurate i would say
0: i i also love that the the beach ball like is not an invader it is this creature that they've kept on the shit around as like a mascot and in his like dialogue before the thing starts lashing out at him he's even acknowledging like this was stupid i never should have let you stay Like everyone told me this was wrong. Like it's like he says we needed a mascot, which makes me laugh so hard. That is like (laughs)
2: something I would say and then regret. (laughs) Totally. That that
0: whole like fucking (laughs) set piece, which is like the proto like type for all of alien is sort of has the energy of like we let this dude crash on our couch for too long. And everyone told me he was going to be a problem. And now I'm finally like fucking having to deal with it. It's
1: absolutely, yeah, Ben, you would like show up to the office with like a duck or whatever and be
0: like, it's the blank
4: check duck. They're
3: like what? You, you don't think this is a good idea? Yeah,
2: it's cut to two months later, it stinks like duck.
4: It's like attacking you with its <laughs> with its webbed feet.
1: <laughs> yeah, gu- guests are coming in and we're like, we're s- sorry about the duck smell. Uh... Duck piss. <laughs> yeah, well,
2: well, we finally find out what does what, what duck piss smell like? Well, finally now. Um, but I remember what I was saying. So the captain though, the captain's gone. You get a lot of great jokes where um, uh, O'Banion, I forget the character. He's being like, I want to make back. sure pin back. He was, he wants to make sure that on the record, it made him uncomfortable that he sat next to him when that happened. I feel like he keeps going back to that, like interrupting, like, you know, official like recordings and what have you. Uh, but the fact that the captain is gone and it's just now, the like, you know, next in command who like has given up. Like, I just yeah. I think that setup is so great. It's really funny.
0: I, I was uh not surprised to see that the creators of Red Dwarf like cited yes. this as an ultimate Absolutely. influence. Uh, yeah. Doug Naylor in particular. But like I love Red Dwarf and kept thinking about it during this as like I feel like every y- a couple of years. There's like a hot spec script going around, either as a pilot or feature or both, where someone's trying to crack the space comedy and not the sci fi comedy, but like, can you make the people driving each other crazy on a spaceship comedy? Because it feels like that's so rife for like interpersonal tension comedy and it never works. Most of them don't get made. A lot of times the pilots are shot, reshot, never make it onto air. And then, like, you know, uh, the fucking, uh, what's it called? The Orville is like, 15 years of networks trying to figure out a way to do a big spaceship comedy. And then their solution was just do Star Trek and maybe also make it not a comedy. Yeah. Or do Star Trek. And occasionally there's a joke. Red Dwarf is like the one show that cracked this. And, and, yes. and this movie is the one movie that kind of cracked it of like, this is the type of comedy you need to do from just like four people who resent each other stuck in like a vast nothingness for eternity.
1: The thing with Red Dwarf that right is the "lol nothing matters" vibe. Obviously, Red Dwarf manages also to stretch that into a sort of semi-functional space universe that makes sense. You know, it has plot, sure, it has sure. it has a more expansive does, sci-fi right. reach. Yes, it, it has the attitude uh, of a
0: dark star that is very hard to make dramatically exciting. Obviously, and also that there's no boss, like the lack of leader, where it's just yeah. like. Here are a collection of characters who should not be at the center of this story. The anchor the hero is gone. And now these people are just kind of fucking stuck. And it's like odd couple comedy to the nth degree where the stakes are so goddamn high. And there's just no other life.
4: Well, like, speaking of Claire Denis, um, (laughs) I, I mean, I hadn't seen this, I think, since life. And I mm-hmm. I mean one thing about doing the com- comedic version of this is like what level of effects do you, do you need to pull off a comedic tone? Yeah. Like it can, I don't think it can be so bad that it's um just a joke cuz that joke will wear thin very quick. Like you have to convince people a little bit of something. But it also like if it's too slick, I don't know
0: that maybe I, yeah. I I think that's a mistake that people make a lot is they think it has to look like the real thing at yeah. a level that then becomes distracting. And also on a production from a production standpoint, day to day filming affects performance in a way that drains comedy, maybe.
4: But I mean, I think that clarity maybe made the inverse mistake. I don't know if I'm in the minority on that, but like that's that's one like huge miscalculation as far as like what's the level of effects we need to pull this off. Obviously that's not a comedy, but like I
0: laughed. <laughs> sure, sure.
1: <laughs> I love that movie. I got to watch it again.
0: I've seen it twice. It's it's a tough balance. Like it yeah. it, it mm-hmm. is hard to know how much you need to comply with like the audience's expectations of sci-fi films.
2: Yeah, that movie's wild. I actually went to a screening at BAM and Claire Denis and Bob were there. Oh. And he vaped Bob. He, Bob. He va- <laughs>
4: Are you talking about Bob Pattinson? Yeah.
2: Bob. <laughs> what do you mean?
4: Bob. I don't think
1: anyone. Yeah. Bob well, was there. What, I, I don't know. I actually don't know what Robert, Robert Pattinson, Pattinson <laughs> goes by. That's
2: how I know. Yeah. Him. I don't know. But folks, um, you kn-
0: you need to understand Ben did not say that with any glint in his eye. There was no smirk on his face. That was not pitched as a joke that he was waiting for us to react to. Yeah, he wasn't like, oh, right, yeah.
4: I was like, Weinstein? Yeah, I I (laughs) truly,
0: all three of us were just taken aback doing the math on who he could be talking about. Bob, Bob Pattinson. Well,
2: anyway, he was vaping the whole time.
4: I mean- you know, you guys probably all have a
0: close personal relationship to Bob Benson
4: now that you've done the whole Twilight series.
3: Oh, his oh, art, yeah. Bulbasaur.
0: Yeah. Yeah. What, what are the things we want to talk about with this movie?
4: I also, like, I think the thing that's maybe the most directly winky and not just sort of sad, sack, and dry on this is the bomb conversations yeah, the bomb convos, with the computer. Right. But I still love it. And I love whoever does the voice of the computer is just like, Pitch perfect. It's so good.
1: Uh, It's it's mostly Carpenter, right? Uh, Let me double. Yeah, no, no, sorry. Mostly O'Bannon is the is the bombs. Yeah, O'Bannon is credited with two separate names as each as bomb nineteen and bomb twenty. But it's O'Bannon
4: No, but I mean the computer, the like the 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 main system of the the woman's voice. Oh, that that oh the the lady.
2: Yeah, that's uh, her
0: name is Cookie Cookie Nap. One of the all time great names. Yeah, Cookie Nap. Cookie Nap. Oh, man, we've all taken K.N.A.P.P. And yes, she is the voice of the computer in this. And then most of her credits after this world of sexual fantasy assistant to director. Phantasm comes again. Production assistant can't buy me love the Patrick Dempsey movie studio teacher. Then she's like a studio teacher. But but then. She, she goes from being assistant on porny movies to being, like, on-set teacher to minor actors. And then on a movie called Bodies Rest in Motion, she's credited as welfare worker.
1: Wow. Yeah. She, I'm reading her obituary. Yeah, she was, uh, you know, an interior decorator at some point. She just turned into a teacher. She worked on a lot of yeah. movies that are
2: not on her IMDb. Seems like she one should of those have people been who is... Siri like i think i think her voice she is so been good siri. she should have been siri
4: but on the on the subject of like incels and dudes in the 70s reading playboy uh getting into film school and stuff like that and yes. just the general t- and how that feeds the general tenor of this film like there's just something so i mean i know that like it's sort of groany or creaky to have like the sexy computer voice but there's something so Self-parodic about it in this instance because it's just like these absolute foul humans who yes. still have this like passive woman's voice. It's like coddling them and like being like, "Are you sure you want to do that?" <laughs> and like, um, and just like being the most pliant, pleasant, uh, kind of mommy voice in the ship to these absolute dirtbags. I don't know. I just it's very funny to me. I love it.
0: <laughs> um, I just want to connect these dots now because I just. Uh, Figured this out. Cookie Knapp was married to Douglas Knapp, who was a USC compatriot of uh, Carpenter and O'Bannon and was the cinematographer on this, as well as Assault on Precinct 13, Uh, and then became, uh, like, camera operator second unit for Escape for New York, best boy on Badlands, uh, camera operator on Frankenweenie and Beetlejuice and Coming to America. Um shot a lot um, th- of uh, Star Trek Voyager episodes later in his life. He, yes. I yes. was going to
4: bring up Voyager, actually, when you were talking.
0: <laughs> he was uh, director of photography on a lot of Voyager and camera operator on even more of Voyager.
4: See, the the six degrees of this movie and, and all space things.
0: It's uh it It is fascinating how it's not even that it's like, oh, this is the thing that inspires everyone. It's like this is the thing where five people then branch out and make the changes like yeah. this is their dry run. And then they all go out and splinter off and everyone takes their specialty and then like seeds it throughout the industry.
4: But they also like in addition, obviously, to some other key players, like kind of build what sci-fi looks like for the next totally. several decades. Yes, like, yes. Um. Yeah, it's... Yeah, and There's so that, tendrils like, there's th- everywhere. And that's why there's some... Like, even though there are obviously parts of this movie that are a little sloppy, uh, some fat that could be cut, like, I, it's still so precious to me for that reason. Like, it's just... It feels like an actually watchable glimpse into that. Like, I think a lot of things yeah. like that that hold that position are actually rather unwatchable. Um, I wish I could come up with some, some specific examples right now. But, like, but this... Like I like this movie better than Assault on Precinct
1: Thirteen. That's that's actually I, a sure. wild take. I would say that's a close to a wild take.
4: Yeah, I I, I want to watch this movie more than that, and sure. I actually rewatched I that. that recently because this mini series was coming up, and I was like, oh, I haven't watched that in quite a while, and like I don't know. It's just like well, it's also like I, as I said, I like Funny Carpenter best. Um, yeah, right, and. So I feel like he's not funny Carpenter. I'm also like, Halloween is not my favorite Carpenter by a long shot. Like, once he starts being funny and absurdist again, then I'm I'm back in on it. Uh, like, those are my favorites.
1: So but, you like, like uh, big, big Trouble in Little China, you said, obviously. Live. They live yeah. Right yeah. They right live, right. Yeah. That, I mean, the right.
4: thing is, like, the thing has plenty of comedy in it, oh, too. Like, I... Oh,
0: yeah. Can't wait to talk the thing. The, the thing is the movie in... His filmography that feels like the natural evolution of this in a lot of ways, where he's dealing yeah. with a lot of the same themes.
4: Yeah. And also, like, I another thing I was thinking, I was like, Kurt Kurt Russell feels like the perfection, the, the, the diamond like fusing yes. of all the dudes in this movie. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, um, yeah. Like
3: absolutely. Like
4: you could imagine a young Kurt Russell just being one of the dudes on the ship, like facial hair and everything. And it's that same tone. It's that same, like, That yeah, the like don't bother me like about the naming the star just feels like something that Russell could have
0: delivered. Right, like the guys are all very good in this. We should also mention that Carpenter dubs over one of the guys. That uh, Uh, which one does
4: he dub over? uh,
0: What's his name? Trolby Talby. (laughs) Talby. Talby.
4: Yeah. Oh, the guy in the cockpit. Oh wow.
0: Yeah, Yeah, Carpenter dubbed over his whole uh, performance.
4: I mean, I imagine most of this was dubbed over anyway, but uh, but that, you know, they're like, I'm going into it. But the movie,
0: in- the movie has an interesting energy as a byproduct of the fact that it does not have any movie star juice in it. And, like, right. obviously, like, you know, he works his way up to finding Kurt Russell, right? Like, finding the perfect avatar for his on-screen sensibility. Yeah. But, I mean, even something like comparing this to... The first Evil Dead, where you're like, oh, like Sam Raimi was lucky that his buddy actually could carry a movie, you know? And you're watching that movie and he's like giving an overqualified performance for that. Yeah. Um, but that's yeah. a movie that makes Bruce Campbell an icon. Whereas, like, the fact that it's just the guys with these kind of low energy performances in this makes the movie the star rather than right. making any kind of one guy the point.
4: Yeah. It very much feels like, oh, these are just my buddies I would have been having a beer with, like at yeah. the end of the day. But I instead we instead of going to the bar, we like went to go make a movie.
0: <laughs> well, but, and like aside from the other shit we were talking about, Dana Bannon, his legacy was that he was this like very riled up, paranoid, sort of like constantly monologuing dude who always had like a loaded gun near him.
1: Slept with a gun under his pillow type thing. Right.
0: Slept on a pillow
1: made of guns. Probably right. <laughs> I mean, yeah, as we said, Carpenter and O'Bannon did not get along uh, making this movie. They do not like exit this experience being like, all right, what are we doing next? Uh, yeah. Carpenter sided with Harris, right? With the the producer guy. Uh,
0: no, uh, that, that, that is, I don't think that's true because famously uh, Carpenter put in the movie a computer screen no. flash saying, fuck you, Harris. What? Nope. No, O'B- O'Bannon did that. O'Bannon did that. O'Bannon Weird. hated
1: Harris. Yes. Okay. okay. Um, and then, you know, Harris works with him on Eyes of Laura Mars, which is like one of the first screenplays that Carpenter sells when he's like trying to make money in Hollywood. Yes. or whatever. Like mm-hmm.
2: Harris sticks with him. But it came down to basically like Carpenter was willing to play ball with certain right. creative like requests that were coming in right. and O'Banion was just being difficult and just basically was like refusing to, to play the game that you very much have to. And so I that's think that Dan is O'Bannon like kind story. of where, right. right. And that's kind of where their are like uh, the tension started to grow from there basically.
0: Yeah. And like, Carpenter's whole thing was obviously that he wanted this to be a calling card movie and that he thought people would see it and then offer him films, which didn't happen. But he got an agent off of this. And so he kind of like pragmatically just went like, fuck, I'll just write scripts. And so it was Eyes of Laura Mars, what became Eyes of Laura Mars, what became Escape from New York. And then there was a third movie that was a Western that Elvis Presley and John Wayne were supposed to do together that never happened, which is a fascinating reality to consider. Yeah. Um, but yeah, between this and Halloween, I think he obviously didn't give up on directing, but he was kind of like, I guess this is how I need to make my get my foot in the door is just selling enough scripts until someone lets me make my own thing again.
2: OK, I have a I have a final thought I'd like to share about this movie. That is something that we haven't discussed as of yet.
0: OK, take us home The
2: guys. music. Mm-hmm. So first of all, we have that country song. Yes. Which is great. which I love. Yeah. It's so funny. And it it's so funny. And so funny to have it be like the lead-in song for your sci-fi yeah. movie. Yeah. Sets so the tone that, quite well.
0: Again, would say. who
4: would watch the opening of this movie and not realize it's a comedy between that song and the I opening know. transmission? It's just well,
0: especially the ending when he's fucking surfing to Benson, yeah. In Arizona. <laughs>
4: yeah. It's so- written by
0: <sighs> Carpenter
1: and Bill Taylor, yeah. who did the special yeah. effects.
4: Yeah. Yes. Also, I think I, I was just perusing the wiki of this movie that um, there is a town, Benson, Arizona, and there is a star or there is a street in it called Dark Star Lane.
1: Wow. Hey.
0: Ooh, cool.
1: That's cool. That must be homage.
4: Yes.
0: But but even the whole the the synth vibe of this movie, like Carpenter kind of stumbled into it by accident as a byproduct of just like. We have no time. We have no money. I cannot produce an expansive score. I could play instruments myself or I can get this like newfangled device. And he describes the synthesizer he was using for this movie as being controlled by wooden pins. You had to put Uh wooden pins in different slots to modulate the levels of it. And it was just for him, like that's the sound fake, but that's the way I can at least get the size of score I want. And then that becomes his definitive style as a composer.
1: Yeah. It's also funny, Griff. Well, he just he says he did that in four hours. How the fuck do you like you're like, you, like, all right, yeah. what do we do? Put a bunch of pins in there. Alright, I'll do a score in four hours. Yeah, get out of here. It's wild.
2: What were you gonna say, Ben? I'm sorry. No worries. There's like there's something to there's something to be said about the sound and it being like elevator music or Muzak you know, throughout and like how It's it's very funny, and then it's like that. That's the entertainment that they get. Whereas, like you know, uh, sometimes you'll get like um, sometimes you'll get like operatic music and stuff Mm -hmm. that maybe feels a little bit more like usual, typical of like what music people listen to in space. Like maybe sometimes it's like rock songs, like in Marvel movies, but like shitty jazz
0: in space. No, but they're they're making fun of two thousand one, like in particular with the opera shit, right? Sure, yeah. but there's that that is the
2: funniest thing to me
4: when they're listening to the rock music in the cockpit and they're all just like head banging. It's. <laughs> <laughs> well, like, it's also just, the most like, high energy moment of the entire movie,,
0: <laughs> but also it's like it's realistic where you're just like these dudes just like stuck in isolation doing grunt work, aren't going to listen to fucking like highfalutin classical music just because it makes right. the imagery look poetic, you know that's not what they would be playing, or yeah. even have a choice of something they like, sure.
4: Yeah, it feels like I think like the computer plays the elevator music and they have their like recreational music. Yeah. (laughs) That she turns off at some point. Uh,
0: It is fascinating to me that these multiple different cuts he did, like the first one O'Bannon did was for Laserdisc. And then on DVD, he did a a third cut. And then on Blu-ray, they've restored it only to the theatrical cut but I read reviews of both the DVD and the laser cut where people said like, they're incoherent. Like, it, <laughs> like he was like, look, I'm just taking out this additional stuff that was never meant to be in it. And people are like, it doesn't make sense. You cannot, it is not a functional version of this movie.
1: I would assume this is also sort of later, even crazier Dan O'Bannon, right? Who's yes. like, all right, let me roll up my sleeves. I'm sure I can fix this thing. And it's like, completely bananas.
4: I mean, it is like what you were saying about Bob Gale, except it's like, you have the money from alien, right? You have the passion to protect dark star. Like it's such a, it's such a, like he's set up, obviously it's not like he's struggling, but the thing he's fixated on is this extended
0: student film. He could have been the Bob Gale to alien if he wanted, like he could have been the guy who does the fucking rounds for alien. And instead he's like, I need vindication for this student. And it's like
4: quite the opposite. Like he doesn't work on any other alien except like he's like a consultant or something on Alien versus Predator. Like like that's the one he hops back on for is hilarious.
0: (laughs) And I I imagine that was a combination of both. That movie had like such toxic buzz that they wanted to like make good with the fans. And also he probably was like, I don't know, I want to buy a boat. I'm ready to, like, take this job now.
4: Well, he has, like, a, a just a handful of huge hits that I'm sure just, like, kept him afloat for the most part total
3: because recall, he wrote Total obviously. Recall. Right, like, right. right. Yeah.
4: And I forget what, there's something else.
0: Revenge but, yeah. of the Living Dead, Return of the Living Dead was, like, a big VHS movie, you know? I'm sure that was profitable for him. But also, like, any time they went to the alien well for any reason, the guy got a check. Yeah. Yes.
1: Guys, I just had a great time Google Street Viewing down Dark Star Road. I really recommend it.
4: Really? Uh, Take a in, look
1: In Benson, Arizona. It's just like empty. Wait, like share your screen. Blasted. Oh, What the fuck? Uh, Alright, let me figure that out. Wait, what part of screen?
4: Arizona is Benson in? Is it northern and southern? Uh, let's find
1: out. I have to zoom out here because, of course, I know so much about Arizona. It looks like it's southern. It's sort of probably like, you know, like 30 miles out of Tucson or something like it's near the border near the Mexico border
2: Griff do you want to get the lyrics and sing while we while we go on the street view (laughs) do you want to do that I
0: don't know if if the lyrics are findable but I want to say a thing I was just thinking about so I'm looking here right uh at Dark Star Uh, Road
3: Ooh. all
1: right okay wait let's so but let me let me this is on the highway greener than I would expect wait here I want to get oh it's on the the ten. no, it's off the 10. So wait, let, it's me, off the let me. Okay, here we go. So here's Dark Star right. Road. Well, okay.
0: Well, when you when you zoom in even more, it looks like there's like one property off of that road. That's what I, I, I was. I tr- drove so Griff,
4: through Benson last yeah. summer. Yeah, I was.
1: I was trying to figure this out, Griff. Because look, here, here's there's a little line of mailboxes, right? Oh so that wow. Is, that that presumes like there's some properties because I was trying to think like yeah, could we like. You know, get a compound on Dark Star Road.
0: Well, you know, like David. This is what I was going to suggest. We're starting to like look into getting now that you know the pandemic is easing up, getting a, a studio, a blank check uh, offices where we can record the show. We were thinking, compound. oh, do we go downtown? Compound. Yeah. What if we just go fucking compound Benson, Arizona? get oh, go true dan o'bannon have, sleep with guns the, under uh, our pillows <laughs> yeah, blank check productions on dark star road in benson arizona that would arizona. be a
4: killer address to have though yeah. you're at least like be. you could maybe get a post office box under yeah right. get, get
1: mail forwarded from there or whatever like look is that a yeah. person no, that's just a weird plant. Maybe I weird. This is
4: turning into like a <laughs> like a horror movie. Yeah, itself. I was gonna I'm say
0: like, we're, we're gonna, gonna, gonna zoom find a body in on this. <laughs> I, I, find, like. I find
1: I find a murder on Dark Star Road, and we're like, shit, when was this taken?
0: Or we see, like, you standing on the side of the road, but your eyes are entirely white. <laughs> it's
1: like, wait, this is from 2023? I don't know. And then all of our
0: faces on the Zoom go blurry. <laughs> <You're
4: right>.
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway, pretty cool. Look, see, here's a property. Oh, there is a there it
4: is. Is it for sale? Yeah. This, let, is, this is 2016. Look at Street like, easy. Uh,
1: beware
0: Looks of the like dog. It's like a double wide.
4: All you guys need is a nice little double wide on, on, on dark, dark Star Road. And if Dance we're being Arizona.
0: if we're being responsible, David, blank check recording studio should have a beware of the dog sign on the door.
3: Yeah, yeah, that's, <laughs> so that's true. It's uh, actually buff, a bark, good buff, point. Buff, buff, buff. All right.
1: All right. Let's play the box office game. Unless right, Griff, anything else you want to say? Uh, no, you uh, pull up the box office game
2: and I'm going to try to figure out how much that house costs on Dark Side Road. Sure. I would get, hit up Zillow. Maybe even if there was like a billboard. Hey, like John Carpenter, check out this podcast. that would be
1: amazing. I did not see a billboard on my quick tour, but it would be funny if right. We like paid 800 bucks for a billboard ad. And we decided for the first time to
0: advertise our show. And that's what we do in the middle of nowhere, Arizona. (laughs) Yeah.
1: All right, Griffin, the box office for this. Now that I have my magic Kindle book with the box office from every year ever, We're going to do this film technically was released in Los Angeles on January 16th, 1975. So the box office for that weekend. So it's the, you know, kind of the tail end of Christmas. Seventy four is what we've got here. Number one, I think is a movie. My guess is this is one of your favorite directors. I think you really like this movie to a a mystery, a murder mystery.
0: Is it the, the long kiss goodbye? No, the long kiss goodbye. Oh, well, what am I talking about? Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm combining the long kiss goodnight and the long goodbye. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No,
1: yeah. no, no. Who, who's who's one of your favorite directors, Griff?
0: Well, that's why I was guessing Altman, but it's not. Right. No, 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 no. Uh, Ashby? No. Cassavetes? No. I'm thinking of my big 70s, guys. Yeah. Did I put him in the March Madness bracket? I don't think he did because his career is like 80 movies or whatever. Like, he's oh, Lumet, got too many Lumet, movies. Lumet. Lumet. Sydney Lumet. Okay. Uh, it's not Murder on the Orient Express, is it? it no. It sure is. It sure is. A hit.
1: Yes. Hong Kong. Beep, beep. Choo, choo.
0: I love that movie. I think that movie is a little underrated. I think it's just such fucking crackerjack entertainment.
1: It is very fun, that movie. Fun, fun, ridiculous, star laden. Albert Finney. Yeah having having oh. you know a nice big hammy sandwich
0: yeah finney being like younger than all of us playing pro uh
1: just a blast murder on the orient express is number one at the box office in its eighth week of release a hit rules i guess rules yeah big
0: fucking splashy
1: hit yeah number two is a uh, disaster film there are two disaster films this is kind of mm. this is the, the peak
0: of the
3: mm-hmm, yeah exactly
1: yeah. the air this is but like Poseidon's. this is probably the most famous of that maybe well Poseidon Adventure I guess is probably the most so this is probably is the it second air, most airport?
3: famous Ta- no
1: it's famous
0: for its billing it, it I, I think Emily guessed it Towering Inferno, towering Inferno. it's the Towering yeah. Inferno yes
1: yeah Um which uh, diagonal billing Right. Exactly. Uh, Newman is second, but higher than McQueen. So everyone can be happy or whatever. Have never seen The Towering Inferno. I never have
0: either. I, I tried either. I tried to brush up on all of the Irwin Allen movies recently for uh, the sake of uh, uh, trivia, which made me wonder if I should watch them all. I have always put them in a pile in my mind of like, these are movies that will only have interest as curios. They will not have entertainment value in present day.
4: I feel like that's a that's a Patreon series for you guys. Honestly, Ooh. Ooh. that would be super fun. That would also get me to watch them because I think I've only seen Poseidon Adventure.
1: Irwin, Irwin Allen movies. Well, here's the thing, though, Griffin. It's two hours and 45 minutes long. That's the but other thing. These like, movies are like so like
0: overstocked. Right.
1: <laughs> yeah, I know. It's just funny to think like pre Star Wars like, you know, that's the sort of like Hollywood's like, well, what you what you need is you need like a building or a boat or a place and it's uh it's on fire. Yeah,
0: and we just load it up with stars. You need 20 actors between the age of 40 and 78.
1: That's the thing as well like The Murder on the Orient Express, this movie and another movie. They have those posters where there's just this sort of Marvel Comics, like, box of faces. Yeah, like, so many faces.
4: That's what I was going to say, though. It feels like an interesting first swing at, like, what, like, the four-quadrant entertainment that Marvel would become, where you just have, like, somebody for everybody in this cast of thousands and a bunch of spectacle, and it's long as hell. It's too long. It just feels like the first run of that style of entertainment.
1: Okay, so that's number two. Number three is 1974's Best Picture.
0: 1974's best picture is not Rocky. Rocky 75, right? 76? 70, uh, Rocky is it 76, I believe. Yeah. Okay, 74. Oh, fuck, why am I not thinking about this? It's not French Connection? Nope. Uh, uh, 75. 71, Yeah. Sorry, 71. Uh, Midnight Cowboys, 70. Mm-hmm. Is freaking
4: I'm, even on your, is, is that even possible? Oh, we've in- put him,
0: He's we, the original blank check guy.
1: Yeah, yeah we've he's, talked. He's yeah. About him. yeah. Okay. Sorcerer is like the original blank check. Not yeah. not original, original, but yeah.
0: Yeah. Okay. Wait. 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 Process of elimination. If I tell you something else about it, you'll just know what it is. If you tell me anything else about it, I'll know what. it pretty is. Pretty much. Pretty much. Um, it's a big hit. It wins best picture. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, you can't tell me genre, right? Uh, crime fuck why am i not thinking of what this
1: is because it's too oh, obvious
0: oh, oh it's the godfather you nope. fucking dummy no nope nope
1: that's 72
0: it's not the godfather it's not french connection
1: what's another film about crime that won best picture here's a hint it's really related to the film the godfather
0: it fucking moron it's called the godfather part <laughs> two because <laughs> my next clue would have been like it's i believe it's the first sequel to win but then
1: it's yeah. sort of like well yeah right you know, you know you know what that is uh yes it godfather is the godfather part, part, two. part two which popular and quite good in my yeah, opinion. big hit
4: successful film
0: big yeah, hit. part two what? came out first
3: <laughs> yeah no
0: yeah they switched yeah. the order yeah they yeah. switched the <laughs> they pulled yeah a, and then pulled part one was like a black widow <laughs> yeah. yeah right a relevant movie about some dead characters. Uh,
1: okay. So, Godfather Part Three's just chilling out. Obviously, you know, it's 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 the Godfather Part Three. I two. said sorry, two. No, I said three. Oh sorry.
3: my God, we're uh, so confused I know, right now. Get out of
1: here! Number four at the box office is a movie I don't know uh, particularly well. I've sort of heard of it. Uh, it's an indie movie, true indie movie, um, about like a sheriff out for blood. Because his wife Is walking got killed tall? by drifters. No, but you've got, you know, you, yes, like those kinds of vibes.
0: Um, yeah, I mean, there's no way. Well, maybe
1: it's not you have Billy. Heard of
3: it.
0: It's not Billy Jack, obviously. No, not Billy Jack. Um, but it's in that Walking Tall, Billy Jack sort of vein. Let me read you the tagline for this. It
1: was the fall of '54, a time when laughing was easy, and they and laugh they did until they crossed capital T, the capital L line. So that's sort of a hint.
0: Is the line part
1: of the title? It is, it is. But that's a pretty good tagline, right? Laughing was easy, and laugh they did, until they crossed the line. Also, it's a period piece? It is, it's set in the 50s, set in 1950s Georgia.
0: The movie Uh, is called The Line?
1: Oh no. No, it's called Macon County Line.
0: Ah, uh, okay. Is
4: there anything that's more of a bummer than '70s era '50s nostalgia? <laughs> no, it's yeah, right. weird.
1: <laughs> that's like us making movies about the 2000s. Well, it looks like this movie is kind of like a Texas Chainsaw Massacre type movie, where it's sort of like this is quote unquote based on a true story, and it's sort of like a you know gritty, uh, violent movie that's like very, very vaguely. It's like it's like a drive-in movie, like a big you know uh, grindhousey.
0: Sounds kind of fun. Uh, Emily, to your point, it remains absolutely absurd when you think about the fact that Happy Days premiered in 1974 and the chronology of the show starts in like 56 or something. Yeah. And you're like, could you imagine if I was like, we need to make a network sitcom about the halcyon days of 2005.
4: But that's what that 70s show was in the 90s. like. It's like the 20-year cycle.
0: But at least that 70s show is sort of like snarky about it. Happy days is just literally being like, these were the happy days. (laughs) Right. When things were good. (laughs) Ah, (laughs) ah, yes.
3: I guess it's
4: like the last time that people could tell themselves that about a previous decade of American history.
0: Men could say a A and hit a jukebox.
1: Now, of course, oh God, when men could do that. Now, Griffin, number five at the box office. I don't think this is another Irwin Allen-esque disaster movie. I don't think Irwin Allen actually produced this one. It has a terrific title, which is an event dot, dot, dot. It's the whole whole tagline. (laughs) Whole tagline. Um, But it is, it's uh, much like the towering Inferno, a star laden disaster movie with incredible special effects inspired by the success of movies like airport, you know,
3: it's written called by an Mario event? Buzo.
1: No, it's what? not called an event. Wow. Sorry, that's the tagline. I said title. Oh, I thought the
4: name of the movie was an event, which is like, i was I'm sick sorry. as hell. Uh, it's, it's,
0: what is it? It's not earthquake. It is earthquake. Hey,
1: which I believe is it that a dam gets the Mulholland dam, right? Gets uh, blown up at the end. That was like their big special effect. I mean, they collapses.
3: Could
4: they not at least say it was a seismic event?
1: They should have said that. That's a good point. You got Charlton Heston, Ava Gardner, George Kennedy. It is wild how they were like, what are you under 50? Uh, Yeah, the exit signs over there. You're not in the cast of Earthquake.
0: It's also wild that like Mario Puzo writes this fucking like supermarket bestseller book, right? And then gets like a credit for partially adapting his own book to what becomes one of the most beloved movies of all time, one of the most successful movies. And then the rest of his screenwriting career is earthquake, the Godfather part two, Superman, Superman Two, yep. the cotton club. Like done. Like it's, it's so weird.
1: Uh, yeah. I mean, he's just like the King of hacks. So you got to respect. Yeah. Guy. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. And yeah, like it's it was so weird that he wrote Superman. Did he like I know he's not the only person. I guess he's no. There are four credited writers on Superman. Right. Yeah.
0: They I I I was going deep on Superman however long ago. And he was like the big blue chip writer they brought on apparently throughout most of his script because they'd written one and two at the same time. He got credit on both of them. Also, he he fucking won two Oscars, uh, even though I think you know Coppola really fucking wrote those screenplays it's like he got to take home two trophies apparently
1: yeah uh, Tom Mankowitz said uh, Puzo's script was 550 pages
0: long yeah and like For incoherent
1: I read. Right. yeah it was
0: just like horrible
1: yeah anyway that's what some other freebie in the bean young Frankenstein oh wow uh yeah. you've got the man with the golden gun on the top 10 there, you've got something called Law and Disorder. Looking that up with uh, Carol O'Connor and Ernest Borgnine. In crime in, in crime written 70s New York City, two cops have had enough. That's what a law and disorder is about. Holy shit. Griff, just look up the poster for Law and Disorder. Oh, no, I'm looking please, it up right please. now. Wow. Please. Wow. <laughs> I swear to God. It's like an oil painting of of these guys. You got to see this shit.
0: There was the tweet going around this week that went like semi-viral about how like why actors in the 70s were allowed to look like normal people and everyone's too hot now. And this poster is just a great example of that. Where where it's just like, like, Yeah, put them all on the poster. Right. It's just like four bags of salami wearing fucking summer clothes.
4: Wait, I I need to see this. I, I don't know. My phone went I can't leave.
0: <laughs> wait, uh, what's the name of it again? Lawn disorder lawn, disorder. lawn disorder. disorder okay, it's an amazing poster,
4: yeah, oh my God, I can get the gist of it. I got a very d-
3: yeah, version. yeah but
4: looks like yeah a couple bags of salami is about is about the size of it
1: (laughs) it looks like a movie that's sort of like a comedy version of these cops take the law into their own hands it's like they do that and then they're like oh shit we don't know what to do you know like it's like uh
4: like that poster drops on like 1974 era twitter and i immediately open a new tab and get on fandango and see yes yes
0: yes We've talked about before, but 1974, because you mentioned Young Frankenstein, one of those just uh, a year career years that's hard to fathom where Mel Brooks has Young Frankenstein and Blazing Saddles come out within six months of each other. Uh, Yes. Crazy. Great. That's why we have to do Brooks one day. Yeah. And also that 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 gave him such a blank check that he was like, maybe I star in the movies now. And they were like, sure. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> right. like he did the seth mcfarland thing except it worked and people were like yeah another mel brooks vehicle you get to be the guy now
1: we love it
2: hey yeah, you know what it. and we did it Yes, that was a fun app emily though has to go
4: yes we shouldn't we do, do i already
2: yeah i already have caused enough chaos in your day but this was oh, fun yeah,
4: it's like a group more orchestrated chaos or at least this at the west Coast side of things
0: over here. Well, so. it's it look, it's going to be absolute chaos when we record uh the three of us in person again at uh 2320 West Darkshire Road <laughs> in Benson, Arizona, <laughs> which is 728 square feet and currently going for $73,818. Guys, you can wow.
1: afford this. We can That's an investment. That's just an investment.
4: I personally would love it if The entire podcast industry post pandemic just all ends up being run out of various compounds in royal the rural United States. Like
0: Yes. I um I I believe this is the one we were looking at the photo of. Yes. Okay. As best I can tell. Really? So yeah. Yeah.
4: It is only house then on Dark Star Road.
0: (laughs) Yes. Apparently. Um, No, there were four listings on Dark Star Road, but this is the one that seems to match what we were looking at. Um, That having been Does it have a
4: soundproof room? (laughs)
0: uh, I don't know. You
4: gotta find a house on Dark Star Road that has a soundproof room, because I'm sure the vibes would be great, and it would also save you a lot when you uh, create your recording studio. But if
2: it has enough property, we could dig a hole and have a soundproof bunker. True.
0: Uh, And if we're gonna really go full Rogue and we need Century deprivation tanks as well.
4: Yeah, I think you guys should pivot to bunkers.
0: I, I think it's a great time to go all in on bunkers. I've been saying it for years. <laughs> I mean,
2: they, they I'm glad you said it. finally someone else.
0: This one is one of four properties listed on Zillow off of Dark Star Road, and three of them are uh, off the market. And one of them sold two years ago for one hundred and eighty thousand dollars.
1: So, so, so things might be trending down on Dark Star Road is what you're saying. Correct. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Okay. Well, still, what well, you know, look, I'm seeing that there's an airfield nearby. I'm sure it's a very chill place to be.
4: They they probably have one of those. Um, oh, so I was just talking to somebody about this. You know, like outside of Marfa, they have this like DEA blimp that mm-hmm. I drove by when I was out driving on the 10 last summer. And it's one of the most alarming things. to so see. Speaking of weird kind of fake looking sci-fi props it's just this like cartoon looking blimp and I didn't know what it was I felt like I hallucinated it it was like a mirage and then I was talking to friends who were like oh yeah it's a it's a, a surveillance blimp run by the DEA and there's a lot of that around the border so I'm sure you know you, you, you'd have some fun chill times uh, David, do you want to uh, uh, talk us through the link that you just sent? So I was just clicking
1: around near Dark Star Road, and I found <gasps> a forty-five thousand dollars lot on North Faded Love Lane. Oh, faded This is not Love Lane. <laughs> no, not faded Love, Fated
4: Lane. Fated Love Lane. No, no uh, not uh, even,
0: it's North <gasps> Faded Love Lane. Right. There's it's seven four pictures. Acres. It's four acres for $45,000.
1: Seven pictures. So it's four acres of land. And the pictures are just of desert. There's some cactuses. There's a picture of what I assume is like a power box that is. That's That's utility. So
4: you can. (laughs) So you won't be without power. That's to reassure you (laughs) that
1: you're not going to be living
0: off the grid here
1: buying this and then just yeah just sitting next to that power box
0: kind of plugging my computer in and being like all right <laughs> david this is the perfect bunker spot there's literally nothing built on this land we just go down <laughs> right
1: that's grips like okay the roof we're standing on it we're going down <laughs> baby <laughs> all right um uh perfect end to the episode nobody buy my property on faded love lane
0: no uh, David's going to close out of this Zoom and now I'm just imagining the conversation he's going to have with his wife trying to pitch her on <laughs> Benson, on. Arizona. <laughs>
3: right.
0: God, no.
1: Too hot for me.
0: I I, I need my rain. Um, also, we're going to get a, a blankie from Benson, Arizona writing us a 15 page email. Out oh my God. As being like being like faded love lane that's not where you want to be you want to you know you don't want to be on the scenes dead
4: on faded love
0: (laughs) i know you guys are probably joking but here's some overly earnest advice that i wrote in the form of a novel um emily always a pleasure
4: uh yeah pleasure's all mine great to be back uh great to be in the room with with at least part of the pod
0: Feels like old times almost, except weirdly at my house. Like, if you're in the same room as Ben, that's the room where it happens. That's the room that matters. <laughs> <laughs> that's exactly what that song is about, too. <laughs> um, also, I should mention I forgot to wear it for this recording. I I forgot that it was my plan until uh, right now. But I uh, recently acquired a really good Welcome to Morrowind shirt.
3: Oh, oh wow!
0: Well, got it. Yeah, I will. Some I will send the link to the group.
4: Where on earth did you get a welcome to Marwin shirt?
0: Universal has a rewards website where you can type in codes that come with your Blu-rays and cash them in for prizes. And most of the prizes are Zoom backgrounds, but some of them are like giveaway swag from movies that bombed. So I own a welcome to Marwin shirt. They also have a Mortal Engines water bottle.
4: Uh, oh, get that. People needed for water. Me.
0: That's my next. That's my next. Great, Emily. Is there anything you want to plug? You're not on social media. Don't look for you. <laughs>
4: don't look. I'm nowhere. Uh, I don't. Yeah, I don't know if I have any. No, I don't have anything to plug. I'm just uh, my, my own business. Me. That's
0: what Emily plugs. Don't uh, look at me. D- don't look at me. Don't think about me. Uh, Listen to past episodes with when Emily was a
2: guest.
4: Yeah. Uh, welcome to Marwin. Most importantly,
0: boom. Uh I was just going to invoke Iowa Debris, uh her her incredible twitter joke of uh no pronouns don't refer to me ever. Yes,
4: yes. I feel that. Yeah.
0: Listen to past Emily episodes. Listen to night call back catalog. Um <laughs> I mean, no way.
4: I truly am nowhere. I'm zero. It's kind of it's both incredible and and sort of a drag. I have nothing to You're working you're her. working on secret you projects. You got
0: stuff going
2: on. There's stuff going
3: on.
4: Doing yeah. secret things. Someday I'll have so much to promote, you guys. will just, yeah. you know. I,
2: well, yeah. of course we have our Atlantic City movie uh, on the slate. That you know, someday you know the big bambino, the big bambino. Um, we'll oh, get yeah, around to uh, 100%. it. A
4: hundred percent. Also, yeah. I feel like we need to do. If you guys ever come out here for Disneyland or for Galaxy's Edge, we have to do a Vegas trip as a sequel to Atlantic City. I'm I'm a push for this.
2: Wow, that would be
0: oh man. Very fun. Emily. You
4: imagine?
0: Emily, uh, <laughs> yes, please. I will also say, uh, David has a baby now, so I don't know when that happens, but I will be out in LA in just two months. Yeah. Come on. We got to do another yeah. in the room. I am v- very down to do any stupid trips.
4: All right. All right. So we'll, all we'll
0: strategize. Put our
4: heads together.
0: Um, um, thank you all for listening. Please remember to... Re- oh, do you have something else you want to say? Sorry.
4: No, I had to... Jump. I'm like, okay. <laughs> it's,
0: yes, we're done. We're done. We're done. My yeah, instincts were correct. Done.
2: He's just going to do the outro. So uh, I'll clean up quickly. You do your thing. Yeah.
4: Okay. I'll be back on in a second, guys. I just need to like send a talk.
0: Please remember, rate, review, subscribe. Thank you to Marie Barty for our social media. Thank you to Joe Bone and Pat Rounds for our artwork. Lane Montgomery and the Great American Novel for our theme song. Go to blankies.reddit.com for some real nerdy shit. And go to our Shopify page for some real nerdy merch. And I'm still struggling to remember the correct order of these things since we've updated after being on a recording heist for a while. But of course, I have to thank J.J. Birch for our research. Uh, Alex Barron, AJ McKeon, for our editing. One of these days, I will get these things in the correct order again. Yeah. Uh, tune in next week for Assault on Precinct 13. Yes. Trucking along. And should mention, as always, uh, you can go to Patreon.com slash blank check for blank check special features where at this point we're ridicking it up or are we to the mummy now? No, we're in Riddick
1: time. Uh, sorry. Yes, we're, we just did pitch black and we're about to post, I believe our F
0: nine return to cinemas episode. Oh, the That's movies next. are back.
1: The movies are back.
0: Uh, that should be a fun episode with all sorts of twists and turns um, and appearances from a lot of past guests on the show. Um, so, uh, that is that, that is, that is, that is that, (laughs) that is that, that is the end of this episode. Uh, Emily has returned. She has presumably sent the text, but the episode is done. The text has been sent. The episode has been real. And as always, who cares? Don't bother me. End of transmission.